This is the Politics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. All right, I don't know how long we were live for there before <laughs> Matt got came in and just started it off. Who knows how long? <laughs> This is only 15 going. minutes. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. They can see we're just normal people like anybody else. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> all right. Well, tonight, uh, tonight we're going to do, well, as usual, be open to open Q&A for folks who have questions. And you can find the link to join by going to apologeticslive.com. That takes you to the site where there will be a link to participate. Um, my name is Andrew Rapport. I'm with Striving for Eternity and the host of Apologetics Live. And with us is our resident apologist, Matt Slick from Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. He's been doing apologetics for like 30 years. And he's 39. 25 years old. That's my theory. 39 years. 39 years. Yeah. I like 30 is he, he likes to be precise this one yeah that's right because i'm i'm accurate like some people i'm still accurate um so we're, we're hoping uh that we could get some folks in i was at matt this week went uh on to skylar uh fiction's channel and did a two-hour show with him okay and uh, Although we did have maybe it was less than that because we had lots of technical problems, but uh, but yeah, we we're want to do. I do want to announce though before we get started a conference that we got going on here in uh, New Jersey, March fifteenth and sixteenth. It is called the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference. Now, anyone that is friends with Matt Slick knows about suffering. <clears throat> oh, not bad. <laughs> And so this conference is for you. <laughs> no, but we're we're going to deal with issues of anxiety, depression, physical ailments. Uh, keynotes will be provided by Justin Peters, who, for folks who don't know, uh, he has cerebral palsy. We'll also have Pastor Frank Mullis, and he is one of George's leading experts in sexual abuse. Counsels hundreds of sexual abusers a week. That's a job I wouldn't want. But. Wow. Uh, yeah, so he does. He's got an extensive background in counseling. We're going to have breakout sessions by Pastor Joe Suazo, who is a missionary in India, suffered with physical ailments and had to return to the states. And and the, returning from the mission field actually brought him into a depression. And so he'll talk some about that. And then for the ladies, the breakout session will be done by Colleen Sharp, who is a mother and has struggled for a long time with physical ailments, which is hard to do when you're raising several boys. So uh, those we're going to have some great sessions. That's going to be March 15th and 16th in Freehold, New Jersey at the Chinese American Bible Church. And uh, you can find out all of the details at strivingforeternity.org slash conference dash on dash suffering. And for once, I will beat Charlie to dropping the link in uh uh, YouTube because I had it before him. So <laughs> Charlie's quick with those. So uh encourage folks to come out to that, that, uh, that conference. And uh, it, it, the cost is $40. Um, what we're going to probably do is end a little bit early in the afternoon. We'll do a Q and a, 
at 2.30 is the plan. And then what we're going to look to do is after the Q&A, break up into either smaller groups or allow more one-on-one discussions with the different speakers so that um, maybe more issues that people wouldn't want public or whatnot can can get some help. And so the, the, the purpose is to try to help folks who are struggling with different things. And, you know, a lot of us struggle alone because we don't want to let anyone know that we're we're dealing with issues. So encourage you to come out for a conference. Please share it <clears throat> with others so that they would know about it. Uh, you know, we should, we should raise a fund to get Matt's wife to get to go to the conference, not because she's suffering with her physical ailments, but comparing her physical ailments of suffering to being married to Matt. Well, I'll tell you, her physically, she's so off, so bad now that it's actually worse than being married to me. She, um, the only way, when we moved to Arizona, we're going to put her on a plane. And um, because, and we had to have somebody fly with her, a, a drive she can't handle. Um, she's not going anywhere, doing anything. Anyway, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so pray for, pray for Neek. Um that uh, she, she basically sneezes and breaks a rib these days. So, yeah, yeah, not good. So, so what we wanted to start off with, and we hope folks will get in early, by the way, if you want to get questions to ask that or challenges, it is best to come in early. So go to apologeticslive.com and click the link to join. Now, Matt, you and I wanted to start off with discussing atheism. And this was even before your radio show when you got a caller that came in. But, you know, I was on Skylar Fiction's show. We Can were talking about, about that. How badly did yeah, you we were, do? Well, I did better than you because you weren't there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, well, it was it actually almost turned it into a Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on an agnostic show, but because you know, as typical, they want to challenge with, well, what about this verse? And and one of the things is, is they want to try to show that somehow they want to come in and do an internal critique of Christianity and the Bible, and then somehow say that God is contradicting Himself or God is, you know, setting up rules He doesn't follow Himself. And I find it always so interesting. I even I pointed out to him, you're He's not doing an internal critique. When he says, well, if it's wrong to do something, you know, his, his argument was it's, if it's wrong to always lie for us as humans and God allowed a spirit to be a, a lying spirit, therefore God must have forced that and therefore God is uh, contradictory. But if you're going to do an internal critique of the Bible, you have to start with the point that God is perfect, that God can't sin, that God can't tempt and therefore, when God uses his people to, you know, uses people to wipe out a, a group of people that he's been warning, that's called justice. That's not called, you know, recklessness or other things that people were trying to say. Um, and, and so, I, so when you have people that try to do an internal critique, do you find that they often don't want to stay with their conclusions with the viewing the conclusions that we see in scripture. I didn't understand the question. So, so another internal critique because an atheist couldn't do that of the scriptures wouldn't be an internal, unless you mean that they're looking at what the scripture says. They, well, that's the point. They, sh if they're going to do an internal critique, they have to do it from what the scriptures say, but they, but when they draw the conclusions, 
their conclusions are based on their worldview, not the scriptures worldview. And that's where I think they fail in doing internal critiques. Right. Well, their worldview doesn't carry any water at all. But uh, when they, like an atheist today called up and um, I forget what the issue was. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a standard thing. And he had to explain all these details. I got the point within a few seconds. But you have a little old lady. She's really nice. She helps out. She does this. She does that. And she's really good person. There's all kind of good works. I go, gotcha. You know, and uh, then you have a murderer and uh, uh, he's been bad his whole life. And he gets to go to heaven if he receives Christ at the last minute. And, and a little old lady doesn't if she's been good her whole life. I said, you know. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, the Bible says, well, that's what your book says. I'm like, oh, geez, you know, it's like that. And uh, so I just had to put him on hold and, and answer biblically. So. so, OK, why do you say that their worldview carries no water? Uh, because with atheism, you can't account for any universal transcendentals. You can't account for um, the laws of logic. You can't account for ethics. You can't account for our own existence. These are three very important areas, rationality, our existence, and morality. And uh, the, the worldview just doesn't work. Um, now, there, I've been doing a lot of research today and, and lately on atheistic views of propositions and uh, I've been been uh, approached recently and told that tag it doesn't work my view of tag because blah 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 propositions I'm researching propositions and uh, they don't even know what they're talking about with propositions uh, people are always arguing about what propositions are and so let's um, get more detailed and uh, you know they're always trying to find some way somehow to take the place of God and excuse themselves in the sense of they can make moral choices. They have the authority. They're the ones who can tell us uh, how we got, got here, or they bow to the God of science. What I mean by that is science has become, uh, more and more I, I think about it with atheists, it's, it's become a, a, a pseudo-deity, a hemi-semi-demigod, to make a musical thing. But uh, they, uh, they, they say, well, science is the way the truth and the life. It is the way to truth, and it is the discoverer of truth, and you can have life if you follow science. You'll have a better life, better ethics, better everything. And so they look to science, which is a man-made creation, uh, as the cure of all things. And, um, and even that is a philosophically based system, science is, which is, uh, presupposes the laws of logic, and is basically empirical, uh, in that you, you look at you have to use empirical systems and induction is a problem and induction is based on empiricism and they don't, you know, they don't think very deeply about the, the philosophical and logical issues behind a truth and knowledge and things like that. And so when we get into the deeper areas of discussion with atheists on these various issues, they just, they just don't know what they're doing and they can't answer the difficult questions. Just like Leighton Flowers cannot answer the difficult questions about human free will and providence and, and uh, sovereign grace and things like that. He can't answer them and neither can they uh, and their respective areas of error. So it's just that stuff like that. Yeah. Someone in the, in uh, the YouTube chat is saying atheism's God is science. Now I, I disagree with that. I wonder if you do too, Matt. Well, in, in one sense, yes, it is. Because I was just saying that science is something that they look to for truth. Science will provide the answer. Our hopes are in science and its ability to give us truth, et cetera. And so in that sense, yeah, it's def definitely uh, a, a form of a God. It's an idol, you could say, to them. They don't even realize it, but it is.
Well, okay. So I guess, maybe so it's not that it's not science. It's a, the philosophy of science that they hold up as an idol. Yeah. The whole thing of science, you know, looking and observing and the process of science and the broad scope of what it is. Science will provide the answers. Science gives us medicine. Science gives us rockets. Science gives us cell phones. Science, science, science. And if we don't have an answer now, in 100 years, science will provide the answer for us. So they replace God with science and then look to science to be the way, the truth, and life for them. That's what they do. So it's, it's not a God of the gaps. It's a science of the gaps. Oh, yeah, I've said that many times, science of the gaps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a difference between science when we we follow through in, in the scientific method and come to conclusions that way and a philosophy of science where where statements like science answers all things, that you, everything can be determined by science. That's not That's true. Philosophy. Yeah, it's that, a philosophical thing. Yeah, I'm just speak, speaking generically because even atheists would admit when you really get down to the nitty gritty, they're not going to say it can answer every single detail. But I'm saying that generically, they look at science as the end all of of everything that they uh, they want to find and look for. So that, that's what's going on. John is telling you not to mention Leighton Flowers, or he'll do a two hour video to refute you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let him, you know, it's going to take a two-hour uh, video. But if he wants to do a two-hour video, then do the do, do the video on the topic of why is it one person chooses God, another one does not, if prevenient grace is given to them, and doesn't God know how much prevenient grace to give to somebody to bring them into the place of of uh, belief? And if it's up to their free will, then why is it that one person's free will enables them to believe, another one does not? If he says it's just because it's free will, he's not answering the question. And these are the questions and the issues that he cannot answer, but Reformed theology can. But at any rate, let's get back on topic. Yeah, we got we got to get Leighton in here to do a come in and do a debate and cho- choose a topic and make him actually, you know, like stay free right will. to this. Yeah. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. So, so. Atheism is probably one of the fastest growing religions, shall we say. Um, Humanism is uh, actually recognized officially as a religion. What really gets me is the the ACLU and the center, whatever it is that – Dan Barker's in, Center for, you know, Freedom of Religion Foundation. That's right. Uh, They they want – uh, they want to get rid of all kinds of religious ideology from, you know, anything inside of, uh, of the, the government, yet they are inadvertently promoting humanism, which itself is a religion. So I think their hypocrisy is profound, that they should be working against humanism and Christianity if they're going to be consistent. And humanism is most definitely a religion. And it's been stated as being so by the Supreme Court of the United States. That's right. There was, I think, it was a two thousand and five ruling or two thousand nine ruling, yeah. where they they ruled that uh, the the case was was with a a guy who was in prison. He had been uh, basically the people who could get time out for religious um, religious services, things like that. He wanted to have some time to be able to sit in the library and read, and he argued that he wanted to study religion, his religion, which was atheism. And so that was his argument that he should be allowed to to be given time. And so the whole issue came down to whether atheism and humanism is a religion. And they had ruled that it was. And so and, and they had the reasons yep. for ruling that. And those yep. reasons fit, you know, um, you know, I could I could pull up. Hold on. But the point is, you know, that humanism is a man-centered ideology, and uh, atheists are, are very man-centered. And 
So it's a problem. It's it's a problem. Well, and, um, well let me just, I'm going to quote from my own book, but what we end up seeing in, is the definition of religion has changed recently. The definition had, has has been the definition for a very long time. Um, they've they've had to change religion to require it to be only about God. Um, but when we look at the the definition here, and this is page two of my book, what do they believe? Uh, just trying to find where the good spot is to start. But what you end up having here is um, that re- religion deals with more than just a belief in God. Um, so here, put the here quote, it is, it is today commonly used to refer to those beliefs, behaviors, and social institutions that have something to do with the speculation on any and all of the following, the origin, end, and significance of the universe, what happens after death, the existence and wishes of powerful non-human beings, such as spirits, ancestors, angels, demons, and gods, and the manner of in which all these shape human behavior, unquote. And so they ignore that first one, the, you know, the, the origin, end, and significance of the universe. That includes much of what humanism is doing, is talking about oh, yeah. how the universe affects things. And they want to cut that out and say, no, it's just about God, just about a belief in God. Well, then, you know, they're being hypocritical. They're redefining things in order to win. And that's a problem. And so they shouldn't be doing that because it's unethical. What gives them the right to do that in the first place? Second, define God. And if they're going to say that it excludes God, then they have to define God because you have Hinduism or excuse me, Buddhism, which is basically an atheistic religion. And you can have all kinds of religious systems where, just as you say, they answer those questions because that's what religions do. And it's a religion of science in that science is the thing. And we could go through and, and list the similarities between it and and religious uh, beliefs and systems. There is no difference in a lot of areas. In fact, when I went to an atheist convention, I think it was in Minnesota, and I wrote an article about it. Um, it might be worth going to really fast. I, I haven't thought about this for a long time. Let's see. Atheism, religion on karm, and the religion of atheism. To, to strong, strengthen your point of them redefining to win, look at how they've changed the definition of atheism over the years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's gone from to know God doesn't exist mm-hmm. now to be I lack of I lack a belief right. because if they say they know God, they know it's impossible to to be able to defend the claim that God does not exist. So what they had to do is change the definition so that they could try to win in these debates. Right. It shows how how lacking their view is. Right, and that's exactly what the problem is. They redefine terms to their advantage, and then they say, "Here's how it really is," and you know, I can do that. Uh, I could define atheism as as uh, anyone who is antagonistic to Christianity. Okay, and that's what atheism is. And I could define that. Well, make, what makes it right definition? Well, in our society, it's become an issue of vote. So, um, on the 33rd a- uh, annual atheist convention in Seattle, Washington, April of 2007, I went there, and I've been to a few of them. And uh, I was taking notes. I, w- I was listening and. They actually have a creed. This is what I gathered from their meetings, sitting in their meetings. A creed, no God or anti-God, pro-homosexual and anti-Christianity. A crisis, 
created a problem and offered a solution. The problem was religious oppression in society with atheistic ideals as a solution. They have assemblies. They're gathered in groups with meeting times. They have a pulpit, the lectern from which speeches were made, their ideas were promoted, and their reasons for their belief system were validated. They're evangelistic. The atheists sought converts to their causes. They frequently spoke out about getting the idea of atheism into society and to move people away from atheism. Celebrated converts. They rejoiced. I watched this. When people were converted out of a religion into atheism, there was applause. There was, you know, cheers, backslapping. They're zealous for their cause. They were uh, exclusive. Only they have the truth. The attitude was, we're the atheists. We're the smart ones. Y'all, you are religious uh, backwards people. Um, there was an us against them mentality. Uh, they were profound there was a profound description of the division between atheism and theism, with atheists being the ones who were defending themselves against the intrusive theists, which I find ludicrous. I find that the, the, the idiocy of that statement, I remember that. I was like, you guys are insane. It's you guys attacking us. Um, anyway, concerned, they were concerned about their public image. There was a profound lack of critical thinking. Um, I noticed that uh, the misrepresentation of opposing views, they had a voting block. They wanted to have atheists vote a certain way as a block. There was infighting even, as normal for any group, and uh, money. They had, didn't have tithing, but there were plenty of things for sale. And uh, let's not forget to mention how they sought donations to help cover the costs of promoting atheism, et cetera, et cetera. So let me just read each one what they were. Creed, crisis. They had assemblies, a pulpit, they're evangelistic, celebration over converts, zealous for their cause, exclusivistic, they, uh, it's us against them mentality, concerned about public image, lack of critical thinking, misrepresentation of opposing views, they wanted to be a voting block, it's infighting, and they were seeking money. And yet they say that they're not a religion, they don't have any characteristics like that of religion, and religion's bad. And yet they're guilty of the very same thing that they accuse others of doing. And plus, they impose their values on society, which is say Christians don't have the right to do, but then they do by going into um, courts and saying, remove this, remove that, remove this, you can't teach that, you can't have that. Yeah, they lie in sacks of crap, L-socks. And uh, the hypocrisy is profound within them. As it was to say in Star Wars, the force is strong with you. We should have the hypocrisy is strong with you. Well, I mean, now it's even, you know, how dare the vice president's wife yeah. at a Christian school teaching Christian values that that's not allowed. And well, so it's just atheists on that one, but the left. Yeah. So who is it that's actually forcing their beliefs on who? <laughs> It's it's not the, the the Christians are not forcing. We're to, we want to enforce the laws that have been the law of this land since its founding. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're just not looking they, to change the law. It's just they want they want they want country made after in their image. They want morality in their image, and we stand in the way. They're going to get rid of us one by one. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to put us in concentration camps, but why is that? I keep thinking about. Why do I keep thinking about uh, these camps, which I happen to know do exist? Camps do exist in America, FEMA camps. Um, it's not talked about. You guys can go to the web and look it up, and it's pretty scary. But they're fully funded with coffins and um, lots of uh, stuff just like internment camps, and they're modern. But uh, what's going to happen when the Antichrist arrives? Are you going to say all Christians are to be gotten rid of? And I'll tell you, uh, if you're a prominent Christian, you could be one of the first ones that they're going to come to get. 
and they won't do it after they've started their attack. They're going to come in a night or two before. Hey, are you so-and-so? Yeah, what's up? And then, boom, they're going to uh, isolate you and uh, and then confiscate property and things like that. This is what I'm worried about because it was, you've, I don't know if you've been aware of the leftist moronic idiot leftist politicians the one's muslim who you know it's just is is talking smack about israel now and wants equal stuff for iran and stuff you know she wants to promote islam then we've got aoc on there or teach cortez whatever her name is you know the, the idiocy that she's promoting uh what well, the planet's going to be dead in 12 years we could even I, I love when she speaks because you know, she, you, you you can't display the idiocy better than when she when she opens her mouth. It's like I can't believe she got elected. That's what, it. Really tells you how bad well, it, just it tells is. You how bad it is in the world. You got that right. And what about this? This new what now? New York, you know, abortions up to the birth time. We've got this one uh, socialist a moron woman. I forgot her name, and she wants health care. It's a right for everybody, and get rid of the private organizations. Make it all government controlled. This is socialism. This is socialism. Anyway, we're not about politics, but it's it's the same mentality where those who think they know better than others want to be in power and control what others have and believe and do. What do you think is going to happen in society if and when these far leftists get in control? They're in control. You're not going to be allowed to have a job if you think homosexuality is not true because the homosexual community, what they're going to do is say, oh, you, you are condemning us. You're a bigot. You need to be um, what, what, uh, boycotted. You can't have a store. You can't have a business. This is the kind of mentality. It's the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany. The Socialist Party of Nazi Germany, it's what they did. They gradually ostracized a group of people and they started boycotting their their businesses, eventually confiscating their property as they were denying them their rights. And then look what happened. And people well, say, well, it won't happen in America. Don't say that. They said it, it wouldn't like happen in Germany. Germany. They said in it wouldn't Germany, happen in Germany, and it did. And that, yeah. that's the point. They thought they were too civilized for that to be able to happen. Yeah. But here's the thing. What you end up seeing in Nazi Germany was what someone got into power, what Hitler got into power with was using a group of people as a scapegoat. He, he was going to lose power if he doesn't keep it going. We have politicians now that are getting into power. You know, Barack Obama gained a lot of power by pushing the homosexual movement. And there's a lot of people that see that. The issue is they're making that into a political issue and they can't stop. That's why we've gone to extremes. And when we we're discussing atheism, the whole transgenderism and homosexuality proves that atheism is false. You, you can't intelligently. Why? Because once you deny the biology, once you say that, that if, if we're just chemical reactions from our biology and we're not, we don't have a spirit within us, then every male is going to always have sex with a female. You're not going to have homosexuality. You're not going to have someone that's a male and thinks they're a, a female. Right. That's not going to happen because it works against the biology. So the fact that they say that someone could be a, a gender different than the one they're born shows that they are not just a bag of cells. They're not just a, a material only thing they are both material and immaterial and so that's the irony they don't even realize that they've just given up their atheism when they argue for this 
you know, you know, we're in we're in a, a, a major crisis, a moral crisis, and I think it's First Kings, uh, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is chaos and the fall of a country, and what's happening is we have a degradation of morality because we've gotten rid of Christianity, the the coherent, adhering, coalescing value of Christianity now is basically kicked out, and so everybody's going to do what's right in their own eyes, and our country's going to fail. It's going to at this rate. There's just, it's, that's what history teaches. Now, I did a little bit of research here just now and uh, Foundation for Economic Education. The contemporary criticism of the Nazi program failed to serve a purpose. People were busy be dealing with the mere accessories of the Nazi doctrine. They never entered into a full discussion of the essence of national socialist teachings. The reason is obvious. The fundamental tenets of the Nazi ideology do not differ from the general accepted social and economic ideologies. The difference concerns only the application. These are the dogmas of present-day unorthodox orthodoxy. And it's, now this is an article on Nazi socialism, okay? Capitalism is an unfair system of exploitation. It is, and number two, it is therefore the foremost duty of the popular government to substitute governmental con government control of business for the management of capitalists and entrepreneurs. In other words, get rid of private education or private ownership and have businesses take over everything. Price ceilings and minimum wage rates are to be established by the state and to be enforced. Easy money policy, credit expansion is a useful method of lightening the burdens imposed by capitalism on the masses and making a country more prosperous, that's what they said. Uh, and you know, that's, that's not what's happening. Debt is not good. And all those who deny the foregoing statements and assert that capitalism best serves the masses uh, uh, are ill-intentioned and narrow-minded apologists of the selfish class interests of the exploiters. This is the kind of stuff we're hearing on the news from people leftists. There's a lot more here, but this is the this is the mentality that was in the political and social area that was being raised by the Nazi Germany regime, and we're seeing the same kind of thing here in America. So, you know, we talk about you know we're talking about atheism here, and uh, atheism, and this is the problem. Uh, what I like to say to atheists is that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, um, problems didn't start until they behaved like atheists. And what, what I mean by that? Well, when they decided to make morality on their own decision, when they started to decide that they themselves know what truth is, that's what atheists do today. And when Adam and Eve were, were uh, doing what they were doing in rebellion against God, they were behaving in an atheistic principled way. And so by so doing, that's when sin entered the world and problems and death entered. And death is the logical conclusion. And I believe this is, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a pessimistic amillennialist. And what that means is I believe things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse so bad that uh, we're going to kill ourselves. And God says in Genesis 2.17, the day that you eat of the fruit, you will die. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And Matthew 24.24, 24, uh, well, it says uh, if there if those days be not cut short, there would be no flesh left. And uh, let's say, I think that's what it is. Or no false prophets and false Christ have gone out into the world to mislead. Impossible. Where is that verse? Dang it. Now I'm going to find it because it's important. No flesh left. Uh, maybe someone will find it for me. Uh, but uh, there's a verse. I think it's Matthew 24, 13. I'm not sure. Let's see if I'm right. But the idea here is that that our independence from God brings death. That's what happens. And when people start deciding for themselves what is true, then what we get is, uh, no, it's not that one. Man, I got to find that because that bugs me. Um, 
what we're seeing is the atheistic mentality and the humanism as as a they, they're in bed with each other atheism and humanism and being so wedded in a an unholy union what it does is this kind of a thing breeds contempt for the Christians, breeds contempt for absolute morality that does not rest within the human psyche, the human social structure. And this is a problem because it, in history, when this kind of thing happens, what happens is those who with the light are the ones who are deceit, are, um, are, are killed and uh, are oppressed. And this is what's happening to us in America is what's going to continue to happen in America unless we Christians stand up. Anyway. That's right. I mean, it's they they're they're getting into power by oppressing Christians. They can't stop because otherwise they lose their power. So how come the Christians are standing up and fighting? That's what gets well, me. Mamby pamby Christians. Uh, come on, get up there and do something. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think a lot of Christian what, what we call Christian church uh, in the last several decades has been focused on trying to build their numbers up rather than. Share yeah. the gospel. Yeah, I wish they could. You know, I should hire myself out. Uh, just give me uh, two weeks of preaching, and uh, I'll I'll help purify the church. Not that I'm the great whatever, but I'll just preach the word, the truth of the word, with force, with authority, with confidence, and let's see how many people leave because they don't like what the word of God really says. Matthew twenty four twenty two. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect. Those days will be cut short. I believe that atheism, humanism, evolution, which is atheistic, uh, all these secular religious systems, which rob, try to rob and usurp the authority, morality, position, and truth nature of God himself. They split themselves in. Just as God prophesied, the day that you eat of the fruit, knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. I believe, this is my opinion, that the world's going to get so bad that we're going to bring ourselves to death. And Jesus is going to stop. He's going to stop right before we're going to kill ourselves as a, as a race, as a, as a human race. That's what I, I believe will happen. It's my, my opinion. So, um, you know, I think to think about if you study Nazi Germany, I mean, picture what Nazi Germany would be like with the technology we have today where, you know, you can't you'd be called Democrats. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about you. you, Nowadays, you go through a red light or or through a a traffic light and it's it's checking your face. It's checking your license plate. I mean, so many of them were able to hide and get out of the so many Jews were able to hide, get out of the country. Things You're not going to be able to do that with the technology. You know, now if if you have something like that happen now, it'd be scary. You'd have you wouldn't be able to run and hide like they like so many were able to to survive. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless you live in the Northwest or someplace like that where there's forests, you might be able to go build a camp, you know, among a couple of trees, and maybe they'll leave you alone, that kind of thing. But uh, we know from persecution of history in the history of the Christians that thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of Christians have been murdered by uh, various secular states and uh, religious oppression, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, the apostate false church that it is, has killed many Christians as well. Um, And many Jews as well. And that's right. That's right. I should always include that because it's true. They did. Um. So, you know, if we Christians don't stand up and fight back, and I mean fight back, 
and well, I don't mean carry a gun and go, uh, you know, go go fight. I, I'm not talking about that. I mean, what the unbelievers do is it's they get out and they. Up, it's a matter of standing up for truth. Standing up. How do you do that? It's not. It, you know, I mean, because I just I just want to clarify because you're not saying that we have to we have to use the world's methods and act like them to fight back and get even. It's it's about standing up for truth and not being pushed over, which I think many Christians are, you know, they, they just they want to get along with the world. And they think just like many Jews did in Nazi Germany, they think that if they just get along, people will will. Let leave them alone, but they won't. They didn't with the Jews. You know why the Jews were stupid, and you know why they were stupid, because they didn't believe what the Bible said. Because what they wanted to do was just turn the other cheek and then don't worry about it. They were actually <laughs> misunderstanding what really the New Testament was saying. But they would just list, leave us alone. We'll get along. But is that what happened with Egypt? No. Is that what happened with the Assyrians? No. Is that what happened with the Canaanites? No. They got to understand. And, and we do the same thing. I understand people don't want to, you know, risk losing, you know, a man's life so his family can't be provided for. But you know what? During the Revolutionary War, there were, I forgot what writings, I should call up, what's his name, Federer, and ask him for, for quotes. But some of these founding fathers of, of our country said there are greater things that you have to value than your own life. And some of them were the principles of righteousness. It's willing to risk your life for for the righteousness that God has given us and for the proclamation of that gospel and for the defense of private property, believe it or not, which is a biblical thing, and the right to do with your creation or what you have in your property as you desire and not have someone else tell you what's supposed to be doing because that's dictatorialism. We don't need that. We don't want that. Now, they said it. They were very eloquent. They were great, which I was, but I'm not. But we need some more people like George Washington and Franklin and John Adams, uh, these great thinkers today. But if they were there, if they were suddenly resurrected, so to speak, and walked the streets, were on the, they wouldn't. They'd probably be jailed, called bigots and all that. In fact, I wonder what would happen if, if uh, somebody actually like William Federer, were actually to go around the, the street, because he has so much stuff memorized from the, the, the constitutional fathers, and just start quoting things from George Washington and Franklin and stuff and see what kind of reactions people would give. I bet they would call, you're a bigot, you're a hater, you're this, you're that. They wouldn't know who, they're, who he's quoting. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. No, he's impressive. Anyway. All right, well, let's, let, we got the, our first guest that's in here, and before, uh, as I bring her in, and um, his cat, but... Uh, I'll bring this may be lead in great for her question, but uh, John Wilkinson in the, in the council on Facebook posted a great picture from some soteriology 101. That's uh that's the, the ministry that um, Leighton flowers works for. So it's a picture of a, of a whole bunch of books in a bookstore. And it says, this is what the, the, the person at soteriology 101 said, Matt, you'll love this. It says, quote, feeling disheartened. I am at a local bookstore and just skimmed seven different Bible studies only to find that every one of them begins with a Calvinistic premise regarding the doctrine of election and predestination, unquote. And I think I agree with John Wilkinson when he said, that warms my heart. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, the difference is ultimately is man-centeredness, Arminianism, God-centeredness, Calvinism. That's yeah. What the, that's I, what the ultimate center difference is. 
if you're going to study the Bible, you're going to study about God. So it's going to be Calvinistic. If you're going to study about man, you're, you, you're in the self-help section. <laughs> That's right. I've, I view, I'm not saying Arminians aren't Christians, but I view Arminianism as um, elementary school theology and Reformed theology as, as, you know, you can't get any better because it sticks with Scripture. And God is the sovereign king and not man where, you know, as I've had discussions with so many Arminians about the issue of free will and sovereignty, they cannot answer the difficult questions. And then they have to reinterpret scriptures and reword scriptures like somebody we know who goes to Philippians 129, where it says God grants that we believe the object of the thing that's granted is our belief. And he goes, no, that's not it, Matt. It's God grants you the opportunity to believe. And it's not there in the text. <laughs> and that's what it really means. Golly, it just, 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 stop. I want to say, stop it. Stop it. I want to get a t-shirt that says, stop it, stop it, stop being stupid. Just walk around like that. Stop it. Oh, we got to play that video again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> stop it. But, hey, John, John Wilkinson, you, you need to go out to the to Soteriology 101, and you need to let that person know. You should you should go there and type, hey, if you want to find the, the Arminian uh, Bible studies go in the self-help section. <laughs> yeah, self-help section. There you go. I would love to see the response to that. Hey, look at this, man. Look what's happening in the in the chat over there. Matt Slick is, never represents Catholicism correctly. Of course I never do uh, to you, but actually I'm representing it correctly. It's a false apostate religious system that will lead you to hell. Now, that's an accurate representation of what Catholicism teaches. And then when I qu- quote him, they don't even know I'm quoting them sometimes. Then they say, yeah, it's wrong, man. At any rate, it's Catholics. Yeah. Catholics, well, Catholics. We're probably going to get into that discussion a bit because uh, I, think, yeah. I believe his name was Joseph is, is back in. So we'll, but before we get to him, and I don't know if he's got any questions. I didn't see it in the chat, but Kat had a question for you. So if you want to unmute yourself, Kat, and ask your question. Hey guys. Um, so this is along the lines with the doctrine of depravity. If you can maybe like, um, in real time, explain it a little bit more for understanding for everybody. But at the same time, I know that you can look at somebody and say they are a good person in general. That's a good person. That's a kind person. And then there's a difference, a huge difference between being able to say that's a godly person. That's a Christian. That's a man on fire, woman on fire, whatever. So with the doctrine of depravity in place, um, can you truly just call somebody a good person or do they need to be godly as well in, in order to be called a good person? So if you want to explain a little bit for everyone and myself, okay. thank well, you. If you, want, if you want to know what depravity is, uh, I would suggest at the bottom of the screen, you'll see in our room, there's several people in far left is John Wilkinson. Um, yep, yep. So there's a good example of it. And if you want to see it exemplified in real life, just go hang out with them and that'll, that'll work. Um, Wow. On baggage, I got to be honest. <laughs> but total depravity is a teaching that uh, sin has touched all of what a human being is heart, soul, mind, body, etc. Um, so everything's affected by sin. It doesn't mean that we carry out the totality of sinfulness in every degree to the max. It just means that it's all affected by sin and. <clears throat> Furthermore, what it uh, it means the effect of the total depravity, according to the scripture, is that the those thus affected are certainly have free will. They have the ability to make choices consistent with their nature that are not coerced, but their nature is uh, against God and hostile. So therefore, they're going to choose sinful things, and so they will never of their own free will come to Christ. Uh, and the Bible says there's lots of verses for that. As you guys know, I can go through that. And uh, 
So uh, I forgot what the rest of your question was. It was a long question, so I only got the first part. What it was? What was the rest of it? That you said. Can you truly call somebody good? Like oh, even good. if they're a not co- okay. godly person, you know, Mother Teresa did some beautiful things in her life. Had some beautiful works behind her. Can you truly call her good, though, if you are also a believer in that doctrine of depravity? Um, it depends what you mean by good. There's good on a human level. And there's but there's no but a people right. Uh, there's good on a human level. There's good on a divine level. And so no man does good. Romans three ten eleven and twelve. So you know one of the uh, you know examples of, of this is um, so I was literally back there on that, that couch praying for twenty minutes, just just praying and praying and praying one day years ago. I'll never forget it. And I was just puking out everything I could to God about my sin, my lust, my pride, my arrogance, stubbornness, whatever it was. And I couldn't find anything else to say in my confession. I was as deep as I could. I was scraping. There was nothing left. And uh, then I was praying. And I, I thanked the Lord that he didn't make me like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And, uh, of course, that's out of, uh, you know, Luke uh, uh, 18, 9 through 14. Or Luke 14, 9 through 18, Luke 18, 19, 14. And so, you know, the tax gatherer and the, and the, uh, the rich man, or the tax gatherer and the, and the um, Pharisee. And the Pharisee said that, you know, thank you for not making me like that tax gatherer over there. And the point is that even at my most humble, I was full of sin. We don't even know the depths of our sin within ourselves. This is the effect of, of uh, total depravity. So therefore, from that perspective, I can do no good. I can do nothing right. that is good because everything I do is touched by sin. Right. And the Bible says, Isaiah 64, 6, our righteous deeds are filthy rags before God. So nobody can do any good. Nobody. Period. Except Jesus, of course. Now, an atheist sees me drop my wallet and hands it back to me. I'd say, hey, man, thanks for being good. And what I'm saying is on the human level, that, that's a good thing. On the divine level, it's not. And the ultimate issue is what is ultimately make something good. And the atheists don't have a good definition for that because they'll say such things as what is good is what helps survivability or good is what makes most people happy or good is what causes the least amount of pain. And these all have problems. So they can't define what good is, so they can't complain about what is good and bad. They don't have any standard by which they can assert or deny. Only we Christians can do that. When the Bible says no one does good, it's speaking from the divine perspective. We're not humanists. So nobody does anything good. But what we do is, as Christians is filtered through the blood of Christ. And so it is seen, so to speak, as being good through the blood of Christ by God the Father. And that's how we have to look at it. All right. But it would so and it would also it would be all right to say something like if I thought my daughter was kind, compassionate, a good person in generals, it's OK to call her a good person. Tell her she's a good person. Um, yeah, and yeah, just let her good, know the differences you. between good and godly good. Right. You know, hey, you're being so good today. You know, blah, blah, thank you, thank you. And ultimately, you introduce theological truths so they can understand yeah. true goodness. You know, and that's fine. I mean, you know, they're four years old and they brought you something that they broke on the way in as they trying to help you. Oh, that's so good of you. You know, you know how it is. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, that toothpaste sandwich is good. Yeah, I love that. That's that's really good. And you pretend to eat it as you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Here, doggy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we've had that happen when our girls were young. They brought oh, us yeah. a meal once, and let's just say that um, it was interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We had a dog that we would, we were the opposite when my brother and I were kids and we'd slip like the vegetables under the table. Mm-hmm. And my mom, we couldn't figure out for the longest time why she, how she knew we did that. And then we realized he comes out of the table, out from under the table with broccoli on his back that we couldn't reach and get. And we were, yeah, it was just, yeah. yeah. We were not good then. We were not being good. And so nobody is good and it's a standard of god that we've got to we've got to appeal to jesus or god says uh in first uh, peter 1 16 be holy for i am holy he's a standard of goodness and holiness not us so when atheists uh, come on the radio today an atheist called up and talked about you know someone a little old lady being good her whole life well the bible says you know no one's really good what does he mean by good and uh he was obstreperous we didn't get very far before the right show ended. right you know Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Sure, no problem. Let me just jump in really quick. Uh, We've got the uh, Catholics on the uh, chat there saying I always misrepresent Catholicism. I have specifically, I'm calling them out right now, specifically saying show an exact instance. Give me one exact instance where I I specifically misrepresent Catholic theology. Okay? Just, Just, you know, if you can't do it, then stop bearing false witness. All right. So where were we? Yeah. And and maybe you should come on in and... You, we could finish the the debate that you guys had before. Yeah, the one where he didn't do too well. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, before we bring, we'll we'll see. I don't don't know if uh, Joseph has something. I'll bring him in in a moment. Before we do, why don't we uh, take a word with our sponsor? Uh, if you want to be able to get your beauty sleep like Matt Slick, now Matt needs about twenty four hours a day to get enough beauty sleep, and it still is true. doesn't help. It's not working. But with my my pillow is now reduced to twenty hours a day where I need it. Still needs more. Still needs more. Matt, Matt wished that there was fifty hours in a day so he can get enough beauty sleep. But with his my pillow, he has, he can reduce those hours somewhat. And so, actually, my pillow now has a new thing, Matt. I don't know if you know, but they have a a bed topper. Would I know, and, and I was asked about it. Someone was supposed to send me one. I hope they do. I want to give it a shot because my back is killing me, and uh, maybe it'll help. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of checking that out. But uh, if you want to check out one of the best pillows, I, I actually think it is the best pillow that you can have because your sleep is important to you. You need to be able to get a good night's sleep so that you can you know, debate with atheists all day long. But if you need a good night of sleep, you need to get a my pillow and you can get one by calling 1-800-944-5396 that's 1-800-944-5396 make sure to get your my pillow and say you heard about it on apologetics live and so we'll bring <clears throat> joseph in and joseph you can unmute yourself i don't know if you have any questions tonight i was asking in the chat here and didn't see any no, no, I, I, I don't usually. Um, uh, it's been a bit of a confusing day so far, but um, I was listening to the early part of the uh, the discussion uh, about the rise of uh, the rise of socialism uh, yeah. in America as we're seeing it. Um, now, I've noticed there wasn't much mention of the obviously the Soviet Revolution, which killed twenty three million Christians. Um, and it, where I mean, we could even I mean, if not if you don't want to count the Orthodox, they killed off Lutherans too, and they killed off all sorts of people. But the point oh, is, yeah. and there was uh, they didn't they used that. But one, what was interesting was one Russian elder uh, who was well known. He actually said, "What began in Russia will end in America." 
And uh, to that degree, he's kind of right. I mean, yeah. he died, you know, he, it's, a, it's pretty depressing. Um, and the, the hard part is that, yeah, you do have to fight, but ultimately fighting means martyrdom. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's the only way out. I mean, there's, it's, that's how it's all there's, I mean, we have one thing we have is the blessing and the foresight of history. Um, so we know, like, for example, the Soviets, even though they were, uh, they were militant atheists, they were also militantly anti-homosexual. So they didn't have to, you didn't have to deal with the problem of reproduction not occurring anymore, which is basically what we're faced with in that sense. So we could end that way. Um, which would probably mean apocalypse. We could end, there's a theoretical possibility because the Roman Empire was also um, a completely amoral state, which uh, included pederasty and homosexuality in it when the Christians first rose and we converted the state. Um, so that went away. Um, but the point is, so that's one possibility. And the other possibility, I hate to say it, is uh, we keep seeing more and more Islam, and we know they're intolerant to the homosexuals too. They throw them off buildings. So the reality is, if we are not, and I'm, maybe I'm, I shouldn't say, if we're not manly enough, and I'm not just talking about men, but women, but if we're not, then we're either going to be all destroyed, the society will collapse, the Antichrist takes over, that's one possibility. Islam could take over. We're already putting them in government, and it's not, you know, we're seeing Sharia law starting. So that's a theoretical possibility. So there's all sorts of awful ways this could go down. Um, And that's, uh, you know, that's part part of the difficulties. You need to maintain faith at that point. And so, you know, I mean, the Soviet period was uh, terrifying, but it's a great blueprint for uh, what we're going to see now, and we just have to yep. add a little bit of uh, the Roman Empire to it. You know, I was just doing a little bit of research while you were talking, listening to you, because I totally agree with what you said. I just learned a new word, democide, D-E-M-O-C-I-D-E. The, intention, the intentional killing of an unarmed or disarmed person by government agents acting in their authoritative capacity and pursuant to government policy or high command. So, uh, according to Death by Government, 1994, 110 million people were killed by communist democide. Yep. From 1900-1987. Another one says 170 million. Another one says 85 to 100 million. Uh, so, I mean, it is the communist socialistic regimes because a lot of people don't know that socialism is a, one step closer to communism. We have capitalism with its private property, and this is a very oversimplification. You have uh, capitalism, private property, where where the state serves the person. Then you have socialism where yeah, you have private property, but the state tells you what to do with it, and you kind of serve the state a little bit both. Communism is uh, no no private property. The state owns it, and it owns you. It tells you what to do. Now, those are exaggerations, and, and but the, I want people to get the idea that socialism is one step closer to communism. This is how it works. And you'll notice, and we're old enough to know this, what was the, Russia called? What was it? USSR? Yeah, the United uh, Socialist, uh, Soviet Socialist Republics. Yeah. It's not called it anymore, but yeah. it was a United Socialist Soviet Republic. Well, this is one of the things that I'm, uh, you got to stress to the kids because there's an eschatology to socialism and to communism. Death. And what I, and yeah, it's an eschatology of death. But my point is this that one of the reasons that socialism and communism managed to stay alive is because of this fantasy that one day we're all going to, oh, it's all going to be like imagined 
by John Lennon or something. Yeah. And the point is, but it never gets there because as soon as you've trained people in evil and you've trained them to hate and kill those that they disagree yep. with, you are training them to, once they get up to the point where they can say, oh, well, everyone needs to share now, they're going to be like, screw that. We're in power now. That's why it never happens because you can't have, a, you can't, communism like all atheist movements assumes a fundamentally good society. But if the society that you create is fundamentally evil, it can never become that society. Right. So it's, uh, it's uh, quite an amazing thing. So it's that for me, that's a very interesting talking point, which is, I always point out where, is, where has this happened? Because every time we supposedly point to some successful socialist regime, you know, it's built on a bunch of dead bodies. That's uh, right. it's th nothing but theft. And you know, it's, it's disgusting. Confiscation of the money, confiscation of rights, confiscation of property. You know what? I, you, got, you just reminded me. Someone sent me an email, and uh, it's, it's rather long. I'm not going to go through all of it. How do civil wars happen? It's when two or more sides disagree on who runs the country. Uh, the Mueller investigation is about removing President Trump from office and overturning the results of an election. Yep. Uh, who? Uh, what? I'm skipping stuff. What do sure odds what do the sure odds of the democrats rejecting the next republican president really mean it means they don't accept the results of any election that they don't win it means they don't believe that transfer of power in this country is determined by elections that's a form of civil war there's no shooting at least not unless you count the attempt to kill a bunch of republicans at a baseball game okay it's kind of snyder mark there this isn't dissent it's not disagreement you can hate the other party you can think they're the worst thing in the uh, that ever happened to this country, but what, but then you work harder to win the next election. When you consistently reject the results of elections that you don't win, what you want is a dictatorship. And that's exactly correct. Our socialist morons, uh, morons in this country, we, the election occurred and they want to overturn everything and then change the rules so that they can win. That's I, not a democracy. It's not a republic. They want a I, dictatorship. I have to point out, I just have to point out, you're giving them a little too much. I mean, you're being a little charitable to a lot of them. To many of them, you, you've described them correctly, but many of them know exactly what we're talking about and oh, they no. want it and it's a mask. And so you're talking in that That's sense, right. Some of these these demagogues, their goal is precisely what we're talking about. They're just they're just not stupid enough to say it, because if they do, then no one will vote for them. That's right. This person goes on and says, if the Democrats are in the White House, then the president can do anything. And I mean anything. He can have his own amnesty for illegal aliens. He can fine you for not having health insurance. His power is unlimited. He's a dictator. But when Republicans get into the White House, suddenly the president can't do anything. He isn't even allowed to undo the illegal alien amnesty that his predecessor illegally invented. Or yeah, invented. A Democrat in the White House has discretion to completely decide every aspect of immigration policy. A Republican doesn't even have the discretion to re reverse him. That's how the game is played. That's how our country is run. Sad but true. When a Democrat is in the White House, states aren't even allowed to enforce immigration law. But when a Republican is in the, ho in the House, states can create their own immigration laws. And that's how the Constitution is set up for the states to be able to do that. Anyway. Under Obama, a state wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom uh, without asking permission. But under Trump, Jerry Brown can go around saying that California is an independent republic and sign treaties with other countries. I mean, it goes on. This, this is a great little email. You know, there, there's some things that people may not even be aware of because it wasn't in the news long enough. But 
you know, under Obama, he actually killed an American citizen on foreign soil without due process. Really? Yeah. So, so here was a little thing. What ended up happening? There, there was a, a an American citizen who went over, became part of ISIS. He was a fighter with ISIS. He was one of the the most wanted. But Obama moved him up. They 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 had him in their sights and they moved him up the list from the most wanted to be in the top ten. And then they used a drone strike and killed him. And then there was big news. They got the you know one of the top. ISIS guys, someone in the top 10 most wanted for ISIS. And then all of a sudden it was discovered he was an American citizen and what was done was illegal. And all of a sudden all the news just dropped it. No more right. talk about it. Here's an interesting thing. We, we had that whole investigation with George W. Bush mm-hmm. um, to see who who gave the name of, Flat, of Valerie Plume, if you remember that incident. They wanted to know who it was that that leaked the name to Robert Novak. Uh-huh. Now, by the way, Valerie Plume was someone who they took off CIA. She did work for the CIA. She was taken off cover because of the fact that she kept blowing her own cover. She kept telling her boyfriends that she works for the CIA. <laughs> so she blew her own cover. But the, when Robert Novak was interviewed, he's the first person the special counsel interviews. They asked him, was your source Chris Armitage? Yes, it was. That should have ended the investigation because they now know who who gave the, the the name. But Chris Armitage is not someone that's in the Bush. He's against Bush. So what they do, they kept this whole investigation going for what a year and a half, millions of dollars, till they could find Scooter Limmy, who just happened to say, you know, something that he didn't remember, and they could say, "Oh, look, that's." They tied it to the vice president and said, "See, it's the the Bush administration." And then they were willing to close up. That's what they do. They just keep suing, suing, suing. Now let's take a look at Obama. Barack Obama, we have six people that are in Iran. They're captured. They say that they're contractors and they're put on trial for treason. The Iranian government says that they're they're uh, traitor, that they're spies for America. They deny it and they say that they are um, that they're contractors. Now, the whole argument with Valerie Plume was that lives were at risk. People were, were put at risk because the, her name was revealed. Well, she wasn't even on cover. What do we see with Barack Obama? He does a public appeal to Iran to release our six CIA agents. Who blew whose cover and put them in danger? It wasn't Bush because it had nothing to do. Bush didn't blow anyone's cover. But Barack Obama right. took six men who were who were on trial for being spies and blew their cover to that nation. Now, what was the end result? Well, Barack Obama gave them about 150 terrorists and said, "Just give us back our CIA agents." That's because he's a he's a Muslim. Here, let me finish reading. The, I want to get this off the last part of this email. And if you guys want, you put your email in there. I'll I'll send it to you. He said, this is really good because it's all true. And you're right. Obama and and uh, Trump, they're light years apart. And Obama should be tried for some of the things that he did. Hillary should already be in jail, but they're not. Now we're seeing what the pros can uh, do when amateurs try to, t- to walk in on them. They spy on them. This is what's happening in our government. They spy on them. They investigate them, and they send them to jail. They use the tools of power to bring them down. That's not a free country. It's not a free country when FBI agents who support Hillary take out an insurance policy against Trump winning the election. It's not a free country when Obama's officials engage in massive unmasking of the opposition, just like you said. 
It's not a free country when the media responds to the other guy winning by trying to ban the conservative media that supported him from social media. It's not a free country when all of the above collude together to overturn an election because the guy who wasn't supposed to win did. Have no doubt we're in a civil war between conservative voluntary government and leftist Democrat professional government. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, it was very interesting to give uh, to give you look at if you remember way back when with Barack Obama, there was all the talk of Egypt. Every day we were talking about Egypt because what happened? Barack Obama worked with uh, to to basically have the Muslim Brotherhood topple the Egyptian government. And then the military came in and toppled the Muslim Brotherhood government. And Barack Obama was saying that, you know, somehow the military is wrong for doing their coup when he supported the previous coup. And somehow that's wrong. And there was talk every single day Egypt was in the news until one moment. The, the head of the prime minister of Egypt put out a statement in English so that the American press would pick it up. And 15 minutes after that statement, there was not a single mention of Egypt in the news again. What was the statement that was made? The Egyptian prime minister announced that they're not going to be bullied by the United States when the half-brother of the president of the United States was a leader in the Muslim Brotherhood. In other words, they revealed that the, the terrorist group, the right. Muslim Brotherhood, right. that they were toppled, it was Barack Obama's half-brother who, because yeah. of his being able to get into the White House, he rose very prominently in the Muslim Brotherhood. That's the reality. No, no news about that. No, can't, can't talk about that. Yeah, but in and, and the reverse, you know, with Trump, some alleged connection with Russia, his son allegedly talked to somebody or whatever, and all of a sudden, it's, hey, they're going to be kicked out of office for this. I mean, the hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy based on a forged document, a forged dossier. That's the funny thing. Yeah. Well, you know, we live in a postmodern society. Truth is not um, what anybody's after. Truth is a relativistic commodity to be used in order to uplift an agenda. And the agenda is control and manipulation and the destruction of those who hold to absolute truth. And so, therefore, uh, we Christians are on uh, the list of, of targets. I, I guess to stay with the theme, right, of atheism, this is where atheism leads you to, because because when you try to when you try to deny God, we're created by God with a sense of community, with a, a, a sense of worship. And when we remove the object of worship, we're going to start worshiping self. And this is the result of it. That they, they, everyone is starting to think, try to argue that every, the whole world should revolve around them. Yeah. But when everyone's Democrats. thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Just right. so you know, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, but, uh, and I disagree with what's his name up there, but a Catholic traditionalist, <laughs> he said something that's true. Uh, Democrats are evil. And not every Democrat is, but I understand what he means. It's top of the far left Democrats. And sadly, many Republicans are weak and spineless. The Republicans don't fight back. And basically, there's truth in that. We got to, you know, you got to fight back. I remember I heard once that um, all in throughout history, all nations that fall, fall gradually through moral degradation, or at least all, all democratically based kind of systems do. I forgot what the exact quote was. The only way to get them back is by revolution. It's the only way and there has to be a a, a very quick very sudden uh 
taking out of the bad people and uh, starting, so to speak, rebooting. And that's how it has to be. So I've actually known people for years. I mean, I know them personally. But, well, I could say yes or no to that. Who are waiting for a revolution to occur. They want to, they want to, they want to pick up arms and march. And um, I'm like, well, okay. But uh, I, I know of people uh, where I that's... Don't, I that's, don't believe as Christians that we would we should be doing that, though. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe Christians. Yeah. You know, we're I, mean, I know people who are, are that upset about what's happening, that yeah. they want to well, do that. I, I think the reason that a guy like Donald Trump could get elected is because people are so sick. There's obviously a large part of America that's so sick and tired of hearing Republicans that just, as you would say, Matt, the mamby pamby <laughs> Republicans, right? They're, they're just, they want to get along and not actually take a stand. And that's why a guy lacking morality like Donald Trump could get elected because they just, they want someone to act like a leader and stand on his principles. That's because the Democrats have that. They, the, the leftists have no problem with it. So I like what Kat is saying. Slick for president 2020. Yeah. That could be, could, you, okay. We should do that. We should do yeah. you know, a picture, picture Matt Slick as president, president Slick. I mean, you. Oh man. What, what would I the have government so much bad like? history that the, the left media would be all over me like a monkey on a cupcake. And there'd be so much stuff that is true. That I'd be in trouble. Of. The homosexual agenda would hate me. The women's people would, uh, with liberals would hate me because no women pastors and elders. Oh man, could you imagine the the crap storm I would be in? Woo. Oh. Do it, do it. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. seriously, at least bring attention to Christianity and to God more. I wish I wish I could. Wish God called me to do something like that. It'd be great. I mean, I, I'd love to be president of the United States. And I'll tell you, I mean. It's not going to happen, whatever, we're just blabbing. But I'll tell you, if it ever is the case, which not going to happen in a science fiction parallel universe, I would see you, I would do my best to clean friggin' house, just like Trump is trying to do. Trump's okay, trying so to Matt, clean house. Yeah. Matt, all right, let's, let's have some fun. Uh, it's, it's President Slick. It's your first day. <laughs> uh -oh. Charlie's already saying impeach Slick. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even gotten in office. <laughs> I mean, got in yet a big McDonald's. <laughs> There's plenty to impeach me over. And and Charlie's known you for a very long time, so we you know we should. Yeah, he's known me about thirty nine, forty years. Yep. Yeah, it's Charlie's fault that Matt is in apologetics. Just that's saying. Right. So that's right. your first day in office, President Slick. What do you do? What's your day? Probably pray all day. I'd probably just say, leave me alone. I'm going to be praying to my Lord and asking him for wisdom. And I would ask for others to come in and join me in prayer. And that's what I would probably do the first day. And they say, they don't like it, then not your problem. I'm going to pray. That's what I would do. Ask God for wisdom. And then I would surround myself with brilliant people, with smart people. And well, I that's what you do here with me. Well, no, it's with, I said with smart people. Wow. <clears throat> And uh, <laughs> and humble. I think Trump and well, that's yeah, you can find him more humble than me. But uh, but I think Trump makes mistakes when he does his Twitter thing. That's a mistake. He needs to be presidential in some areas, and it make it gets too, the left too much to hate. And I would have somebody who knows how to word things properly. But another thing, I think I think Trump ought to do this, which I would do. 
but that would have a special website that was very, very guarded, very, very um, public, and but you know, so guarded in that hackers can't get in that kind of thing. And I have it constantly looked at. If anything happens, it goes to another DNS and all this stuff, but uh, where things are documented, uh, what's happening, who says what in the government, what policies are coming out, and I would have it put up so anybody could go and look at it and see this is what's happening that's what's happening this is what's going on i think that's a critically uh, a critical thing that trump is missing i think the web the internet is a way to do it and put just documents links you have people work on it all the time i think that's what needs to be done see that's i have a different i have a different view with his stupid twitter things i actually think he does it on purpose I think that he does it because he does. Yes. There's, there's no way the media would talk about the things that he's tweeting about unless it was the tweet. Like I, I, I came up, I came upon this when he did that thing about, he called that woman horse face and, yeah. and it's like, okay, you slept with her. Obviously you didn't think she was horse face then, but the reality is, is no one would have been talking about the fact that she, she did something. She broke the law. It was, the the judgment went against her. It, they would have been silent about it in the media, except he called her horse face. And, the, and now it's why did he call her horse face? What was the the tweet? And the because of something like that, that got the attention to it. I, I not that I approve of what he's doing, but I think it's effective for what he's trying to do. I think he does it on purpose. <laughs> Sorry, he just read Atomic Apologetics. First executive order Matt does is put your hand in front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> you say everyone from CNN, put your hand. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the match like? Salute. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. <laughs> that would be a. Wouldn't that be a good? Oh man, a good T-shirt. Just a smiley face with a hand in front of it, like this. You know, match like for president. What makes no sense. So. Yeah. Hey, All I right. couldn't do any worse than uh, and say things any worse than AOC. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna add uh, Cody here. I don't know if he has any questions. He hasn't responded in the in the chat at all. But and folks, folks who are watching live, you're more than welcome to come in, ask any of your apologetic questions. I know that there's a Catholic out there that he, he kind of went quiet, I guess, Matt, since you challenged him. But um, I don't know. But Cody, if you want to, un- you can unmute yourself if you want and ask any questions you have and for while he's doing that anyone else that wants to come in you're more than welcome to come on in ask any questions that this is a live show that to answer your questions it doesn't have to be combative it doesn't have to be just people who are looking to challenge matt but if you maybe were asked a question you were trying to defend the faith and you were asked something you didn't have an answer to this is what it is this is an opportunity for you to ask those questions a little bit different than his regular radio show monday through friday um matt slick live because here he has a longer time to give answers so i see that cody unmuted himself so go ahead cody yeah kind of on the same topic well how's it going guys going <laughs> um matt, do you, do you remember same... cody matt what do you remember who cody is matt no no he doesn't well <laughs> maybe <laughs> um we go through this every time <laughs> when he says he's gonna remember you cody Right. Oh, wait, Cody. Wait, Cody. Yeah, Cody. Hey, man. Hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> yeah, he's the guy made the best thing I got in my office, my other office thing, their video room. Yeah. I just had a question kind of on this cultural topic. I've been thinking about it. What 
in, in regards to God's providence, um, for Christians that have a loved one who is incapacitated, um, brain dead, um, some type of internal damage in which they're in a coma, or the doctors are telling them they'll never pull out, and they're suggesting that we terminate life support. Um, what what do you think the Christian's response should be to that? <clears throat> well, I've had a similar situation in my life occur. <clears throat> similar, but not identical, in that um, we had a, a son, Jacob, who we found out three months before delivery had holoprosencephaly. And long story short, the doctor said he will not be able to survive on his own outside of the womb. Then we had the opportunity uh, to discuss and contemplate taking measures to keep him alive by introducing um, machinery because his lungs were underdeveloped, his hands weren't right, his feet weren't right, his skull was not right. Uh, but some, we call them hollows for short, have actually survived and um, have lived, uh, but they're basically bedridden. And that's about it. So, you know, in a sense, it's pull the plug or not pull the plug in the sense of do we try and keep them alive with machinery or not? And so my wife and I had to actually face that, that decision. And I can only tell you what we decided and um, whether right or wrong, people can debate. But this is something we really had to decide. We really did do this. And so we decided that we would not use extraordinary means to keep Jacob alive in that um, his quality of life would be horrible and that the defect was deadly. And we decided if he were to live on his own outside the womb, we'd do everything we could to continue in that. But if it was so bad that all they would do is have machines in him, then what is that? And we decided to let him go home, be with the Lord. And he died in our arms. So you have decisions like this. It's never, it's never a, uh, Here's one thing you've got to do. Uh, there are variables. There's emotions. There's uh, difficulties. There's uh, ethical issues. There's godly issues. There's personal wants, desires, needs, abilities. There's the issue of what is the life of that person. All of this is like a big hairball. You pull on one of these threads and everything else is affected. And it's difficult to, to deal with. So having said all of that. If there's someone in a deathbed, and, and I mean, they're being kept alive by, by machines, and there's no brain activity, and that's it. And basically, two or three doctors all say the exact same thing, and they say, we can keep the body alive, but that's it. Personally, I would say, okay, well, let's, let's pray and ask God if it's okay to pull the plug, and if it's, if it's not, to communicate it to us, because everyone dies sometime, and not that we want to hasten it or excuse you know, that, but let it go. And that's just my, my belief. Uh, it's time to say, okay, we're done and um, move on. You know, like I would probably have a, a will to some, you know, a will stated that if I'm in that situation, just, just, just let me go, you know, go home be with the Lord. Um, and then there's those kind of situations. I had a, a close family member that went through that too. And they were believers and she, she did. And I know that was the hardest thing was her husband. Yeah. Oh, he had a stroke. Thanks. He had a stroke, and they—I mean—they're in their fifties. They're not—they're not ancient, you know. 
like you. And so, um, no, I'm just kidding, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and it just kind of got me thinking about it. You know, I, I'd seen an article that, that actually Tyler Baylor reposted, um, regarding a, a young man that was probably 10 years old, I think, and it came down with some disease and I don't remember the name of it, but, uh, the doctors told the parents that, um, he's going to be in a vegetative state the rest of his life. And so they told him, they, they told him you need to take him home and just, uh, basically let him starve to death. Um, and, I couldn't and, do and, that. They, and, and, and they, or, you know, there's nothing more we can do for him. Just, you know, whatever. And the kid ended up, um, a- after about three years, he was, cause he was out of it. I mean, completely <laughs> gone. No, nobody home after about three years, he came to, but he couldn't communicate. He, he didn't look any different to the, to the parents, couldn't do anything, couldn't function, but he was there cognitively. And so he remembers all these things, including his mom saying one day, you know, to him, you know, I wish she would just die. She was just frustrated and, you know, and he had to deal with that internally. And, and after 11 years, he completely came out of it recovered. Yeah. And he just, everything started working. I mean, cause he was completely paralyzed. They, they would take him. They'd bathe him and stuff and then take him to this place for, you know, eight hours a day and he'd sit, they'd make him sit and watch Barney and they'd just, you know, watch him or whatever and come get him. And so had to feed so him for it too. Make it worse. He was some sci-fi, yeah. stimulate the brain. <laughs> right. But, um, but he came too. And it just kind of got me thinking about that because I mean, our, our culture is going to be pushing that. Yep. You know, ease the suffering, gotta, gotta take him out. Um, you know, that's going to be more pervasive and played upon people's emotions. And I just, you know, yep. Oh yeah. yeah there's all kinds of situations like that where people are, are, you don't even know, and they're cognizant. I, I remember reading about a story where this woman, I don't know what the situation was that why she was in the condition she was, but, uh, she could live and breathe on her own and no movement, uh, she had brain activity, but just nothing. And so she had to be cleaned and, you know, catheterized and fed intravenously, all this kind of stuff. And it's went on for years and years. And a nurse, a male nurse, was taking care of her. And, we, and he was a really good guy. He just started talking out loud to her. That's what he would do. And uh, he just talked out loud to her about taking care of her. And he was a good guy. And, and uh, he looked into her eyes and she blinked. And uh, he's like, what? And so he's talking and. And uh, she blinked again, and he got the idea. He goes, if you can hear me, blink twice. And she, dink, dink. And he goes, blink three times, and you can hear me. You know, dink, dink, dink. They went and got doctors the whole bit. She had been perfectly conscious the whole time for years, and nobody knew it. So, you know, when you pull the plug, you really, you know, it is really a very serious thing and you want to make sure in our situation i would say and it's gonna sound stupid in some ways it was easier than a lot of other people's situations it wasn't easy but what do you do what do you do and so i think that the natural way let it go naturally and see to a point um you know to a point naturally because you know sometimes they need to be kept like me i was in a very very serious car accident in 1976 and uh, could have died from it was in woke up in icu was in the hospital five days you know uh if they just let me alone uh, i don't know if i'd have made it or not but um 
you know, what do you do? It, it's just not an easy situation. Not an easy question to answer. It's just not. Yeah. It's not. What are you going to do? That's why I will never point fingers at somebody in a, in a gray area like that. I'll just say, yeah, it, it's tough. You know, what are you going to do? I make a decision and you got to live with it. So, yeah. yeah, it's tough. But I've had to live it to some degree. Sorry, you had to go through that. Yeah. But you know what's interesting, though? Um, About that is uh, we had a funeral, and people showed up, and I had a professor from seminary uh, drive 100 miles, give the eulogy and all that kind of stuff. And and, uh, my wife, you know, she bore this baby, gave birth, knowing the baby was going to die, knowing Jacob would die. I even included a little bit about Jacob in my novel, The, the Influence. But uh, she, you know, she's a great woman, and uh, she, you know, we endured this. Okay, so after a, a few months, she decided to attend a, a woman's group, a, a group of women who had lost children, and that they were a support group. That's what it was, a support group for mothers who'd lost children, something like that. So she went to go get some support uh, because, you know, this is hard. And she could meet women who've been through it for many more years in the past, you know, and had healed through it. And she was going to get support. And she comes home and she said, those ladies are in trouble. They don't have Jesus. There are women who've been there for years, lost a child years ago, and they can't get over it. Not that you just get over it. I'm not being callous. You know, it's not that. But they didn't have the Lord. And so they were still in this complete loss and unhealing area. She ended up ministering to a whole bunch of people. And uh, people deal with it differently. Anyway, it's just bringing back stuff, memories, but it, it's tough. It is. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Sure. Something I've been chewing on. Well, thanks for bringing that to a depressing note, Cody. That was that's true. Yeah, aren't that's, aren't you doing question. a conference on suffering? Well, I suffer every time I have to hang out with Matt. <clears throat> that's true. You could do a whole section. Aren't you doing a conference? Aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you doing a conference on suffering, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be speaking. Actually, it's Frank Mulls from Striving for Turning. will be one of the keynotes, not me. So, all right. So, you have anything else, Cody? No, I'm good. All right. Uh, so, good. folks, not even one. <laughs> by by what standard? <laughs> the Bible, Romans three, ten, eleven, twelve. Next. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we get it. We get it, folks. If you want to come in, ask any questions. I know there's you know a bunch of people watching, a bunch of people commenting on on YouTube. But come on in, ask your questions. So Matt, I know I live in Jersey, but I got a, a new toy this week. Uh huh. I hear it. I know what that sound is. Hey, you know what that sound is. It it only takes about a month and a half to be able to get a Glock in a, in New Jersey. It's it's nice. How long would it take you to pick up a Glock in Idaho? The whole process probably. You go up. Let's see. As soon as you say I want I want that, from buying it to walking out the door is probably twenty minutes. Half hour tops. 
You know, it only took me about a month and a half of paperwork. <laughs> and, and, I, and I can't buy another one for 30 days. I have to wait 30 days before I can get, I got uh, the Glock 19 and I'm going to pick up a 17. Yeah, that's what I carry. It's a 19. But, and it's a 17. I'm going to pick up the 19. Okay. Uh, another nice thing about Idaho is uh, you go through the process. Tw- you can buy ammo and your gun at the same time. They they walk. You say I want to get this and that, and you get the ammo. They go okay. They walk you over to a little side area. That's what happened with me. And uh, then you fill out your name and stuff like that. And then they do a background check on you right away. That's what they do with me. And they go okay, fine, okay, good, all right, great. And then they they say here you go. How mu- how much you know you pay? And then they they charge you and you give them the card and walk out. Then they literally walk you out the front door. And uh, so they, they walk you out. Somebody just says, okay, we'll escort you out. And that's just procedure. That's where I went. And they walked out the front door. They go, see ya. And you got your gun in your, in a, in your hand or bag, whatever, in a, in a box. You could go out to your car, and which I would do in, the, in, you know, in my car. You could take your Glock out, load it up all the way you want, put it in a hostel that, host, holster that you already have. Put it on your hip. You could drive home. You get stopped for a speeding ticket, and you got a gun on you. The cop wouldn't say anything. He goes, "Good for you." That's, that's how it is here in Idaho. <laughs> yes, the land of the free. Is that what you're trying to say? The land of the free. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So we'll, maybe we'll go through uh, the the comments here. Up, oh, Joseph came back in. I don't know if he has another question, so I'll add him in. So, Joseph, if you have questions, you can ask away. Oh, uh, no. Um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, we were going to discuss other things, and we ne- I never got to it because this was a very interesting discussion once you started talking about the Soviet thing. But um, somehow I had scheduled literally everything. Um, I had scheduled, uh, I guess a broadcast got scheduled for me at the same time, which is why I sound scattered. So I'm kind of going back and forth and back and forth. But in any case... Um, so, basically, I guess one of the things that I wanted to talk about. Well, first off, I, I was following the chat, and I noticed that for some strange reason, um, yeah, I noticed that for some strange reason, uh, I, the uh, James, we actually had him on, and we had a nice discussion with him. Uh, was talking about uh, the was talking about Catholic and Orthodox beliefs. Now, Matt, I know that a couple of... Oh, by the way, I invited up uh, Ira Monk Enoch. Uh, he's a priest monk of friend, and a friend of mine. He's actually... Uh, we do the show together. So I said, why don't you come on the show with me? But anyway, so he's just there. But um, one of the things that I was noticing was that James, um, I guess, was talking about the Catholic and Orthodox beliefs. And just for fun, this... Um, just for fun, I uh, was listening uh, to your show earlier uh, this week, Matt. I went to, I listened to the Monday show. And one of the things you mentioned was the, uh, the belief in the Catholics and Orthodox and the real presence. And I thought it was interesting because what you um, had mentioned was this monstrance. And that's a, that's a Roman Catholic thing. They really do bow before the monstrance with the Eucharist before they worship yep. it. What you might not know, however, is that that's actually, again, a tradition that formed well after the schism of Rome and uh, the Orthodox. Those monstrances, those monstrances were actually used originally to hold relics of saints. And so what ends up happening, they used them for, you know, processions to heal the sick. You remember we talked about the healing of the sick, so on and so forth. But after the schism, some, were, some, some groups and specific historical individuals started surmising, well, if you've got holy saints in these things, why don't we just put the Eucharist in it and you could just worship that instead? 
And so that's where the entire bizarre devotion of praying and sitting in front of the host for hours, they even have a perpetual adoration thing. I remember when I was a Roman Catholic, you're sitting there for hours and doing shifts. Um, so all this stuff, my point was that are we, while we do worship the Eucharist, we certainly wouldn't make a habit out of it. Um, it's not something that you're supposed to be doing like that. Cause he says, take and eat, not take and stare at. Um, so, so you admit to worshiping an object? Well, it's not an object. It's Christ. So the wafer is Jesus with two natures. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we had this we we had this discussion and there seemed to be some confusion. But one thing that you had talked about was the human essence of uh, the human essence of Christ. Now, I had a question: Does that human essence have DNA? No, only the biological aspect. The spirit of a person doesn't have DNA. Okay, so his human essence is in the bread and wine. How do you know that? Because that's what he said. No, he didn't. No, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. He didn't, he didn't say the human essence is in the bread. You said that. Well, that's what we've always taught. Because but, the apostles but taught that. You're making it up. Well, no, I'm not. How do we make the argument that I'm making it up? If St. Ignatius, in, answering, in talking about the Docetus, specifically states that the reason the Docetus separated was because they denied that the bread and wine were the body and blood of Christ. But even further... I was looking at one of the quotes uh, on the CARM website about the Eucharist because it interested me. And it talks about uh, one of, it, I forget which father it was, but he's talking about literally how Christians were being killed because they refused to say, oh, no, that's not really the body and blood of Christ. They said it's really the body and blood of Christ and they got killed for cannibalism. So the point is, from a practical standpoint, I'm not saying, um, you know, there's DNA in the brain. That's, that's ridiculous. I'm not saying you can poop God. That's also ridiculous. What I am saying is that somehow, mystically and spiritually, and this is the, the, the tough part, I've noticed this, um, this has kind of been one of the impasses that we have in discussion, um, is that uh, it seems to me there's always a logical thing going on. There's like, it's, this is illogical, and it doesn't make sense. But our faith doesn't, in the end, make sense. We believe because it doesn't make sense. Tertullian actually says, I believe because it's absurd. But the point is... That's the, whacked. Why? I believe because it's absurd. I, I didn't well, you know that. what? Blue sleeve, that's not me. Yeah, blue sleeves faster than Wednesday. That's absurd. Should we believe it too? What's absurd? Blue sleeps faster than Wednesday. Blue sleeps... I don't even understand what that is. That's absurd, isn't it? No, it just doesn't literally make sense. What is blue and what is Wednesday? Are yeah. they people? I think you're going to have to explain this to him, Matt. It went over his head. <laughs> I'm saying there's a difference between what we consider physical absurdity, like miracles, like healings from cancer that suddenly happen. That's, from a scientific standpoint, absurd. But when you reduce that to like people speaking garbled English, I mean, I'm sure there is somebody who says blue sleeps faster than Wednesday. Who knows? Hipsters might start saying that now, Matt. The point I'm trying to make is that absurdity in its true nature, and what I mean by real absurdity, is the preposterousness of the gospel and it is the preposterousness that makes it what it is because god isn't a god of logic he doesn't make sense in the human that's a that's a lot of crap sorry i gotta say that god's not a god of logic of course he is he's a god of knowledge for samuel 2 3 uh, I, I don't deny that 
uh, he's he's perfectly logical. Come, let us reason together. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. To say he's not logical is is just it is philosophical mumbo jumbo. It's 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 my back hurts. I'm walking. It's absurd. Okay, so I don't accept that for a second. So you believe that the uh, the the Eucharist is only the body of Christ, right? It's not the blood. Well, no, we believe in the blood that's united to the cross, and that that blood is the blood on in there. It's the same blood. Did, did he say this is my blood? Yeah, he said it when he raised the cup. No, he did not say this is my blood. My blood of the new covenant. He literally said that. Which yeah, he said this cup is poured out. Right, new covenant in my blood. Did he say? Because you guys are sticklers. You say the Eucharist is his body because he said this is my body. That's what you guys say. Did he say this wine? This is my blood. Did he say that? The answer is no. no. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, no. Look it up. Go ahead. Doing it. Oh, let's see here. We'll go through the various translations. This is my the the NIV says this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. What verses? Uh, that would be uh, Matthew twenty six twenty eight, and uh, King James says. Hold on, let me look. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, yep, it says in the NESB, this is my blood of the new, of the covenant. Blood so he's, even, of the he's covenant. even specifically saying, it's. We, we would take that to mean we're, he's specifically saying this is my blood of the cross, because the covenant was sealed through the crucifixion. So yeah, literal blood, totally taken. So you say, do you know what intinction is? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, do you affirm, and, oh, people don't know. Intinction, folks, is when the bread is dipped in the wine and the wine becomes infused with the bread is intinction. Uh, um, one thing I should say, and we've got James here. He's a he's a fellow scholastic and buys the logic thing. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a scholastic. I don't buy the logic thing in case we haven't figured that. My point is we don't believe, I mean, you're, it's like basically your body and your blood are united. They're kind of, you know, there's no, there's, is there a meaning to it you're asking about? Because I don't know what the meaning is that you're getting at. To what? Like, so is this intention word you're using? What, what are you referring to? Oh, no, to? I was just saying, if you affirm it, that's all. If you affirm well, they, they intention, the, assuming you the body, do. They put the body in the blood, but I don't understand precisely what, what that's supposed to mean. Because I assume there's a meaning to what you're asking about. No, I was just asking to see it's if you like know the, about it's it. It's like the formula thing. Like, you, you know, if you say a formula, then the... I got you. I was, just, I was just asking to see that's what you believed. Well, I don't believe in it. It's just a practice. It, that there's nothing to believe in. You don't believe in intinction? What does that mean? Believe in it. Where intinction is where the blood is infused into the bread in that process, at least in Roman Catholicism, at the lifting it up, and the, the dipping and things like that, and then they're infused into each other. You don't take two separate things; you take one thing. No, no. What happens is the body is physically united to the blood when the priest does this intinction, as you refer to it. But you know, it's all the body and blood of Christ. Like in other words, if you intinct the bread and the wine, you do that. Then when you're doing you separate out communion to give to the sick. The assumption okay. is that the body and blood are there, but I, it's not like a specific, I, that it's a strange question you're asking. I'm trying, what, like it just, their body and the blood. Just... No, I'm, it's not a strange question. We're just probably talking past each other. Yeah. But uh, you, you know, you brought this back up, but it, it, you know, take, eat this in my body. 
And I've asked you quite, oh, oh, my back. Sorry, I got a bad bone back there, and every now and then I have problems. I'm also a pacer. I'm very sympathetic to needing to pace. You ha you're also what? A pacer. Somebody who paces when they're thinking. Oh, oh. No, I do because my back hurts. Um, I have deformed lower, uh, fourth lumbar vertebra. Well, you know, you brought this up about this whole thing. You're the one who says that... Uh, you know, we went over this last week, I think it was, whatever, and I was asking you questions, the nature and the bad. essence. I feel bad I don't have much time, but it was kind of screwy how everything got today, but I'll, I'll get, I, I apologize for that. Well, okay, but uh, first of all, I want to back up a little bit. For you to say God is not logical, you've got to abandon that. Well, because that's, I, that's, that's contrary to Scripture. But uh, second, this idea of, uh, you know, this is my body, you're going to have to say, and as I, I, I'm trying to remember, as the Catholics say, it's a sacrificed body of Christ. That is the element that you're taking, right? Um, well, I wouldn't, it's joined to the sacrifice of Christ. Is it the sacrifice? Ask your buddy, James, because the Catholics well, say, yes, it's the sacrificed body of Christ. Well, no, they do believe that it's the sacrificed body of Christ. So when Jesus... The question is, when Jesus says, this is my body, he was saying, when he said that, this is my body, he was actually saying, this is my sacrificed body. He was saying, it's my, well, when Jesus is saying, this is my body, and this is my blood of the new covenant, it's not just his sacrificed body, it's his resurrected body. It's, it's okay. his body at all times. It's so then the bread was actually his sacrificed and his resurrected body in that bread he was holding in his hand. He changed it for his apostles and said to do it in memory of me. And he used the word anamnesis to make it a perpetual memorial. Okay. And so uh, you don't have a, you can't have a problem with it because you're given over to this. So, um, with what? so you're, you're given over to the, the depravity of your own, 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 your own heart, mind, and stuff because you're not saved. You're not well, regenerate. Okay, well, that's an interesting uh, concept. I would say that as long as you are trapped within the bounds of logic and continue to limit God through logic and scholasticism, then you're not letting him into your life. Uh, well, that's what you do. You misrepresent me. I didn't say limit God through logic and scholasticism. I never said that. I just well, no, said I'm that. Say, I didn't say you were. I didn't say you said you scholasticism. Just, you said that. You I'm, said saying scholasticism. Was, I'm, I'm saying the use of logic in this way is scholastic. Just like you said, I limit God using logic and scholasticism. That's what you said. That's not okay. true. I simply okay. said to you, God is logical. You don't know what I do in atheist you, uh, you circles. Actually, <laughs> you mentioned a thing, an ordo something. What was it? Ordo salutis. Let me, let me finish. You, sure. you don't know what I do in atheist circles. I actually discuss, and been doing it for many years and hundreds of hours, discussing the relationship of the laws of logic, their transcendental essence, to the very mind and the heart of God. It's a, it's a topic I have, I'm known for in atheistic circles. So I would never say what you said about God. What I would say is that the laws of logic are re reflections of the mind of God himself. He, we would say he is a necessary precondition for intelligence. And we'd get into some all kinds of stuff. But nevertheless, God is not illogical, and God cannot do that which is illogical because logic and the true aspect of what logic is is a reflection of his mind. He cannot right. make a, a round square. Well, right. And now so we, that's we, it's we possible. Have, I don't want to go into circles, Matt, because I believe we covered this. What I'm, I'm just reiterating, making right, sure right. that you understand that that's the, the case. Now, when I we also, get to the issue of the of this of this stuff, what you're saying to me is that it's the resurrected body 
of Christ that he was talking about. Well, why is it the resurrected body of Christ when the text doesn't say it? Because here's an inconsistency in your part. You say, this is my body, which means it's literally his body because he says it. But yeah. here's what he doesn't say, and we're saying that it's also that. In other words, what you do is you want your cake and you want to eat it too. You want to say, look, I'm going to be literal here when it suits me, but I'm not going to be literal when it also uh, doesn't suit me. I think that I, I think that the problem is that you're you're kind of trying to put boxes in what I'm saying. You keep saying you like for example, you're saying that the body and blood are the sacrificed body and blood. Do you believe you that? said that? Well, no, you said that. You asked me if I believed that. And then yeah, I, I'm saying you're the one saying that. I'm not saying that. You are. I'm asking but, you. But my point is that I don't limit Christ's body to the crucifixion. I he's in heaven with his body. Well, I don't limit him, or that means, to the crucifixion. Of course he's in heaven in a glorified body. Correct. So that's and a meaningless he statement. Place, he can place that body anywhere. But the point I'm trying to make is that it is larger than simply saying a fixed point in time. So when you say that is a sacrificed body, what does that mean? And I, I, my point in bringing this up is because I want to get to the fact that these are bigger concepts than just a logical A to B to C. That's exactly what created Roman Catholicism. And to some degree, um, the early Protestants did not, but many of them eventually adopted scholastic categories. And that's why that Ordo Salutis is fascinating. And there is no orthodox list in the different schemes on the Wikipedia because it's kind of not how we do things. It's, it's, the point is, faith in something, especially faith in God requires a leap a bit of a jump there that I I don't see when we start saying logic is a reflection of the mind of God. That's Thomas Aquinas could have said that. That's exactly what I would expect. But except his logic would never look like our logic. Our logic would be weak in comparison. We can never understand that. And we established of that. Of course, I got here. that. I have a problem with that, but you're just driving a truckload through this one little statement, just like uh, Luke 128 with the Catholics, full of grace, which is not what it says in the Greek, but they'll drive all kinds of truths through this that really don't exist. And just like you're doing this in my body, now all of a sudden it's his sacrificed, resurrected body. It doesn't say that. It just says it's his body, which is a big deal. Yeah, and we've already discussed that. what that means. I'm just going one step beyond that. What you have said is it's his glorified body, resurrected body, a sacrificed body. That's yeah, what it is when he was given that to him. But it's not what the text says. I'm so I'm calling you out for your inconsistency. I'm saying you want to say it's my body. So believe what it says, but what it also means is this other stuff that it doesn't say. Okay. So which is it? You're gonna take it for what it says, or you're yeah. not gonna take it for what it was, says. Okay, well, was Jesus' body sacrificed? Later. Was Jesus' body resurrected? Later. Was Jesus' body born? Earlier. Okay, so all of those things were Jesus' body, though, right? Now you're equivocating, and what you're doing is you're making a logical error. This is why you have got to start studying logic. Just because he is born doesn't mean when he says, my body, this is the essence of my birth. And just because he was crucified later doesn't, doesn't mean this is the essence of my crucifixion. It doesn't mean those things. Because uh, Catholics have said to me, well, God can do whatever he wants. He's outside of time. Well, well, what does yeah, that yeah. mean? Wait, yeah, what does that mean? Wait, but when Roman Catholics say God can do whatever he wants, it's a cop-out because they know very well... That's what you're they, doing. No, You're I, copping out. No, I'm absolutely not copping out. I'd base, I'd yes, say you are. Entire, I'd say my entire system is copped out. I wouldn't pretend it's logical one day and then say it's illogical another. I'm illogically consistent. I'm, I'm showing you your inconsistency. Okay. You say, he said this is my body, 
Mm-hmm. So you, so it means his body. We had a big discussion about that yes. last week and the problems and with that. And then what we did was, as you're saying, it's also his blood, which you know, doesn't make sense. But anyway, yes, and now you say, no, no. Now you say, uh, but no, he didn't. Okay. You don't understand what you're doing. Okay. You think you showed me something, but it's not what it says. It's not what it means according to what you think. So okay. you said, this is my body. And you said, let's take it literally. But now you're saying, when he said this is my body, what it also means is it's his resurrected, sacrificed, glorified body. And born. But, it's, right? but it, it's not what the text says. You say, believe the text. And then you, on the other hand, you say, don't believe the text. You're contradicting yourself because you're saying, this is my body, but then you're adding all kinds of stuff into it that it doesn't say. So which is it? Do we believe it for what it says, or is it not the case that we believe believe it for what it says? That's a very good point. I'd say yes. Which is it? Do we believe it or not believe it? We believe it, but it is going to be more than what we understand it to be. Okay. Thus says you. No, I'd say that that's that's consistent with the entire Orthodox Church on that. Uh, no, concept- no, well, yeah, but you're representing the Orthodox Church, and I don't I don't buy the Orthodox Church's validity for a second. I believe that all who feel to uh, uh, who uphold and believe in official Orthodox theology regarding salvation are lost. No, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting uh, concept. I I think it's uh, you know I, I would say that's consistent of you, and I believe Thank the you. same that if you don't accept you know the Orthodox position and you don't receive the body and blood of Christ, then you have no life within you. Now, okay. I'm not going, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get combat, combative on it. And I feel like it's because I feel constrained for time and I don't want to take up your, your time all the day, all the time. Well, this and, is fine. I'd like to hear this. Um, but you don't, doesn't your church, just to, just to back up what I was saying, doesn't your church yeah. teach, doesn't your organization teach mm-hmm. that salvation is by your faith in Christ and what you do? I we believe that salvation, and I think you called me. You said I, I upgraded from Mormon to Calvinist on this. That your actions would be a product of your faith. But, so then, would you say you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, without any works that you've done? Um, yeah, no, I would say that. I would say that's in our prayers every morning. The point is, um, you know, we actually say then, that in our prayers. But then, how can I, how can how can your justification be a process? I don't. I'm saying your life is a process. That's how it is a process. So, but you can lose your salvation. Yes. And how do you lose your salvation? Give me one or two things. You know, how do you well, lose it? By abandoning Christ. Okay. So you abandon Christ. What does that mean to abandon Christ? Seriously. Uh, you reject him. You say this was all dumb. I give up. Okay. You know, it's, I, I, I believe what the atheists believe. I don't. I think he's just dead somewhere, or the thoughts say All right. Like the cross. And the so story. then, when Jesus, when Paul said that Jesus canceled the certificate of debt, the sin debt, did and did he cancel the sin debt for everybody? Can that which sin doesn't exist for a person then be reinstituted back upon the person? Uh, ask your question a little more slowly. I didn't quite understand what you said. Colossians 2.14, in the context, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees, which was hostile to us, he took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So Jesus took the certificate of debt, the sin debt, that's the context, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having, for, having canceled the sin debt, okay, at the cross. How can you lose your salvation if all of your sin debt has been canceled at the cross? That well, you're talking about everyone's sin debt. 
Like, in other no. words, like, people, well, it sounds like it, because that's the only conclusion I could, Judas, I, I assume, still believed in Christ after he betrayed him, and then he saw him resurrect, and realized, oops, I made a mistake, and hung himself. So the point is, does he have salvation? Is there a Saint Judas? I mean, it's, you know, some, some things Hold can't... on, hold on, you're, you're answering answer my question, because I believe in limited atonement. I do not believe Jesus bore the sins of everybody ever lived, but only the elect. Uh, and I can back that up from Scripture, because that's what my position okay. is. Great. Now, if he bore the sin, and it, first Peter 2.24, and he canceled their sin debt, Colossians 2.14, then how is it possible for a person to lose a salvation? Because that would mean then that the sin debt, all the transgressions of that person are canceled, then become back upon that person. But how could but it be there if they don't exist anymore? Well, a fool returning to his folly is like a dog returning to his vomit, Matt. It's wrong, but it happens. Okay, you're not answering the question. But no, uh, it's like this. Let me give it. No, you, no, you don't understand the logic. This is why you got to think more critically, and um, you, you're not doing that, which is why I believe really, you're. you're, you're got to learn that do, logic. Yeah, you do. So look, if I have a a, a mortgage, right, and uh, it's I say I owe hundred thousand dollars on it, and someone goes to the bank one day and pays it off, my legal debt is now canceled, right? Mm -hmm. Does it exist anymore? No. Can it be reinstituted against me at any time? Well, how about a refinance? Can the same debt listen to exactly what I'm no, saying? No, those, those debts are gone. Okay, so it cannot be reinstituted to me, can Correct. it? Correct. Okay, no. sin is a transgression of the law of God, 1 John 3, 4. Jesus equated sin with debt, when he, legal debt, when he said, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, and our Father who art in heaven, uh, two right. versions. And that's how we're supposed to pray, yeah. And so, since he canceled it on the cross, he removed the sin debt, all of our transgressions. So let's just pick a person who goes to heaven. Let's just pick a person, Bob. So I want you to think through this logically. So Bob has all of his sin debt canceled mm -hmm. at the cross, right? Sure. Okay. All of it. Now, is it possible for Bob then to go to hell? I would say yes. How is it possible if all of his sin debt, all of it, is canceled because after it is canceled he sins again but it's, that's that's canceled how can it all of it be canceled how can he go to hell for something that doesn't exist anymore all of it because, don't you understand well, what the it, word all means so you're saying past present and future that's what it was to him on the cross all of our sins were future to him so you're all of them so you're saying effectively that you cannot at this point sin. I said all of our sins, mm -hmm. past, present, and future. If you're listening, it would not be like logical for you. It would not be logical for you to say that I can't sin. Well, that sounds like anarchy. I mean, let's just stop you from you know going and killing someone and then saying, hey, you know, I'm good. Uh, this is the problem I have with people who say the same thing that they apparently don't understand what regeneration is. They don't understand what regeneration is with, with salvation and justification. So we're talking, we're talking as a person. Yeah, Second Corinthians five seventeen. Made new creatures are born again. And so what and happens I'm, if you revert? We can't revert. You can't make yourself unborn again. That's God makes us born again. He causes us to be born again. First Peter one three. You're you're, you're you're off topic. Listen, I'm trying to get you to understand and focus on something. Sin is a legal issue. Not only, but it is a legal issue. If all of our sin debt is canceled on by Jesus, he canceled all of Bob's sin, all of it. What How can Bob go to hell? Okay, you said a legal issue. 
It is. So I told you that. Legal issue. Sin is breaking the law of God. First John three four. I, I think that okay, maybe now I'm starting to understand where we have kind of a difference here. Um, I don't believe sin is simply a legal issue. I didn't say simply. I said it is a legal issue. Okay. Yeah. I do this a lot with people, and you do exactly what everybody does. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mocking you. I, I'm familiar with this. This is what happens. People don't hear exactly what I'm saying. I say it's a legal issue. I say not only a legal issue. Okay, it's a legal issue. Matthew six twelve, Luke eleven four, respectively. God said, Jesus says, "Our Father art in heaven, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins." And Jesus, he says, yeah, this is how you are to pray, right? Yes, and Why he. Would you I mean, pray that? Okay, listen. So what Jesus is doing is he's equating sin debt with legal debt, sin with legal debt. What, the word sin is hermartia, and the word debt is uh, of uh, philema. And he's saying, forgive us our sins, hermartia, forgive us our debts, philema. He's equating legal debt with sin. Jesus said on the cross, uh, our, uh, it is finished. Oh, I can't believe it. Twenty-two nineteen, John twenty-two nineteen. I think it is. I can't believe it. I forget that one. Anyway, he said our uh, he said uh, to in the Greek, which is it is finished, which is a legal statement that has been found in the bottom of tax receipts, handwritten after the contract's been written, which says the legal debt has been paid. That's what it means to legal debt. The word kerographon in Colossians 2.14, having canceled the certificate of debt. The word kerographon, which is certificate of debt, is a legal IOU of indebtedness, of legal indebtedness. And Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24. I could ask you a bunch of questions. How is that possible from your perspective if sin is not legal? Because you can't transfer some ethereal presence of essence or whatever, you get into some weird stuff. Since Jesus equates sin with legal debt, Jesus is the one who said he, he um, where is that verse? In John, someone type that in. John, John, no, not First John 2.19. Uh, that's another one. Well, I'll get to that later. Uh, the verse in, uh, which is, is my, uh, it is finished. I can remember that. I call that, quoted it a thousand times. I hate it when my brain does that. So Jesus is equating sin with legal debt. Paul talks about this legal debt being canceled on the cross. Jesus bore our legal debts, our sin, on the cross. If he canceled our sin debt, and if they're actually canceled, how could anybody go to hell? Can I ask a question? Just did. Go ahead. Another one. Yeah. Um, so when uh, in Second Peter twenty twenty two, it says, for if after they've escaped the filthy things of the world through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again get entangled in them and succumb to them. Their last state has become worse for them than their first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than, having known it, to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. They are illustrations of the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing herself, returns to the mire. Now, my question to you, because you keep talking about legal debt, is whether or not a person can return to the foul state they were before they were regenerated in Christ and returned to the state they were meant to be in. And the answer, I think, is practically yes, because we have seen that happen. 
So now you have doctrine by experience. As far as First uh, and Second Peter, you should read that it's written to the Jews, just like the Book of Hebrews is written to the Jews. And you so go to Hebrews to non-believers. You can. I'm just, let me finish. You, if you can go to Hebrews six four through six, you can go to Hebrews ten twenty um, six, and you can go to Second Peter two twenty. It talks about the same kind of a thing. Those Jews, those people who were made aware of the grace of God, made aware of the sacrifice of Christ, had apprehended it to some degree, they went back to their old ways, they're lost. It never says that they were justified and saved. And that's the problem is that those who were justified, in fact, let me show you something. This, this, this is one of the heart issues of uh of false doctrines and Roman Catholicism and stuff. This is works because it's true. Listen to what Jesus says. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I've come down from heaven to, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. So this is the will of God the Father who sent Jesus. That all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So the, that's John 6, 39, the will of God the Father is that Jesus not lose anybody. All the ones that the Father have given to the Son, the will of the Father is that Jesus not lose any. Can Jesus fail to do the will of the Father? No. Then can he lose any? No. Then that means you're eternally secure and you can't lose your salvation. But you're going back into universalism again because... Oh, I am not. I'm all limited atonement. Limited atonement is not universalism. Only He only paid for the elect. But that's so, not what the text says. That's what I believe. I'm that's not going not to universalism. The text, the text says all that the Father gives me will come to me. Did he give everybody to the Son? Did he get, uh, well, yeah. But that he did? Well, everybody uh, didn't choose to go with him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So all that the Father gives them, everybody, if you're saying that the, all that the Father gives them is every individual ever, ever lived, then you're saying the Father gave everyone to Jesus. They'll, they'll come to him, and he will never cast them out. No, and that's then, not what I, I didn't say that. What I said, and I'm simply affirming that Jesus with the Father has dominion over creation. All that I have, all that the Father has, all that I have is of the Father. That what you're talking about is, and the verse you just quoted is referring to Christ being equal with the Father. It isn't saying that all mankind is going to follow Him. That's universalism. No, you go to John five twenty and five eighteen for that the equality thing. But look, it's, you don't understand. He says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me." That's not every individual. Do you think that Jesus came to save everybody who ever lived? He did not. No. He Well, in, in theory, yes, but not everybody was going to follow him. And I could go in all different directions, but focus on the text. We'll have to, we'll have to start wrapping up, Matt. Why don't you just let me close it down? I'll close it down. No yeah. big deal. I feel, I feel I feel bad. Every time I want to talk to Andrew on this. And... <laughs> let, let, me, let me just let me close the room down. Okay. Yeah. I'll close it down. No big deal. This is important. This is good. And I want to, he's on the ropes. And I'm going to show him he's on, the, on ropes. the ropes. Yes, you are. I feel very logically on the ropes. For Jesus says, all that the Father comes to me will come to me. All that, excuse me, all that the Father gives to me. Who's the all that are given to the Son by the Father? I would say it's all of dominion over creation. Okay, who's who? Not the what. 
who is it that the father gives to the son? The life of creation. I mean, all mankind. So you're saying every individual who ever lived. I'm saying every individual who ever lived, whether they are sinner or saint, okay. whether they are fallen or not, is under the dominion of our Lord Jesus okay. Christ. So all that the Father gives me means every individual who ever lived, the Father gives to me. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So every individual that lives, the Father gives to me and will come to me. And the one who I, comes I, to me. I didn't say that. That's what this, I'm reading what he says in John oh, okay, six thirty seven. Read, read, okay, read the scripture. What you say. Oh, what you say. Expressively. I wasn't sure which parts. I'm trying to understand your position and put your words into the text because I'm t- I'm reading the text to you I'm and you're fighting against text. the text. Oh, I'm, I'm no, going with that. What is your What do you think it means? Let me read the, the text because John six thirty seven. All right, there we go. Let's get to John six thirty seven. Okay. Here we are, John 637. Let me turn on the light here. This refutes Catholicism, and it refutes Arminianism, and it refutes Eastern Orthodoxy. It refutes it. That's why this is so critical. Okay. So, and Jesus said unto them, oh, wait, hey, can we start at 35? Sure, start at 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye have also seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came not down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, that believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he said, I, Safe, I am come down from heaven? I think that pretty much establishes that what I said, which is that everything that's given to Christ from the Father is complete and total dominion. And he, he specifically says Wrong. in 39 Wrong. and 40, that's what the text says. That's, I literally read the text. Yeah, you read it, but you did, then you just, just bastardized it. Listen, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's about people. And then he says... Right? The The one who comes to me. Is that about dominion or is it about people? Uh, I'd say it's about all of it. Is it about people or is it about dominion? We'll we'll go with people. We'll just go with people because I think it's – I I feel like we're losing something in the theology there, but I'll go with people. We're not. You are. But I say to – I mean verse 37, all that the Father gives me. You say the all is every individual who's ever lived. Yeah, that's what 39 would indicate, and then 40 but, would hold indicate. On, which hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So all that the Father gives me, every individual that the Father gives me, mm-hmm. every every individual who's ever lived that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Okay? So you're saying that every individual on the planet who's ever lived will come to Christ. Well, I know I'm saying every individual will be raised up at the last day, John 6, 39. Well, hold on. Look at verse 37, one verse at a time, and then we read down what it says each time, because you don't realize it, but there's a trap in there for you. So don't okay, be so the, eager to the, jump ahead. What's the trap? 
just one verse at a time. Look, all you're saying, every individual that the Father gives to him, which you mean means every individual ever, ever existed, is, is who the Father gives to the Son. And then that means that every individual who ever lived will come to Christ. Well, no. If you look at John 36, what he's talking about is people who have seen him and still don't believe him. And the point is, when he says people that come to him, those are the people that are saved. So it's not everybody who ever lived. Well, no, I believe 39 points out that he will still be judge over everyone who ever lived. Got, got you. But I'm asking you, all that the Father gives me, who's the all? I keep asking the same stinking question. Okay, well, that would be those who are given to him. Who's the all who are given to him? Those who will go to heaven. So it's not everybody who goes to heaven, so therefore not every individual is given to the Son. Well, you see, when you say given, and you, it's almost like you're kind of implying here that the Son doesn't have dominion over those who don't believe I'm in him. I'm just going for what it says right now. All that the Father gives me, who's the all? You're just now saying it's not everybody who ever lived, when mm-hmm. earlier you did say it was everybody who ever lived. So which is it's what he's talking here. It's about those who are saved when so it's not everybody who ever lived. No. Okay, good. So you the, people, the, the people he's talking to aren't included in this. These are the people who are going to leave him now. So it's not everybody who, who ever lived. So you've changed your position. That's good. You're being more biblical, but notice that I have to get you to go over and over well, and I, over. Well, I mean, let me finish. Okay. I have to go with you over and over and over in a text to get you to see what it actually says. Well, you, you, know keep why read, you keep reading into the text what isn't there. Well, I the reason that's occurring, Matt, is because I could not tell the difference between what you were reading and what you were saying. But this round, I opened That's not a good scripture. sign. Well, this, well, this round, I opened my scriptures so that I could see which texts you are referring to and what you are saying about them. You so should it always go by the text. So well, you know, we none of us we then we would be then I then we wouldn't be using logic we would be using the scriptures, but now if we continue logic this, and scripture go together, and look what it says: all that the Father gives me will come to me. So it's not every individual; it's a limited group. But who that limited group is is not yet disclosed. We're just looking what the sense says. So it's not everybody who ever lived. So there's it's so we just say not everybody ever lived. It's a limited group, whoever that is. Those people who are given to the Son, the one who comes to him, he will never cast out. I will certainly not cast out. So he says, all that the Father gives me will will come to me. The ones given to him by the Father will come to him. It doesn't say those who go to heaven are given to him. It That's reverse. No, those who are given, okay, that's, that's kind of, okay, go ahead. They're given to him and by the Father. And the one who comes to him that Jesus will never cast out. Well, I was certainly will not cast out. And then he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he's given me, I lose nothing. So of the ones, as you say, who go to heaven, not just the ones who go to heaven later on and then they're given because they went to heaven. That's not the text. It says that the ones who are given him by the Father will come to him. That means they were given to him in the past. They will come to him. It's not a future giving. 
okay? Because it says, all that the Father gives me, it's, it's you know, in the present tense. It's not a future thing. It's talking about the past and what's going on. He's given them to me. And the one who comes, it's an eternal thing, but okay. It has to do with election. Right? That's another topic. That's what it is. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's the logic stuff. But um, the point it's, it's is... A, but this is what it says. He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all he's given me, I lose nothing. If it's the will of the Father that Jesus lose none of all that are given to him by the Father, can Jesus lose any? Um, I can. Let me see if I understand you correctly. Can well, Jesus basically... lose any of the Father uh, that the Father's given to him? Can he lose any of them that no. are given to him by the Father? No. Good. So the ones who are given by the Father to the Son will come to him. Mm -hmm. That means there are people in the future who are going to come to him because they're given to him by the Father. Sure. And they will never be lost. Um, yeah, okay, I'll buy that. That means you just said earlier that you could lose your salvation. Well, yeah, because you don't know if you're one of those lost. No. It doesn't matter if you know or not. That's not yeah, the issue. Of course it you, matters. No, it does not. You don't understand. You do not know how to think critically. Okay. Knowing whether or not you're elect doesn't mean you are or are not elect. What he's saying here is of the group that are given to him by the Father, he will never lose any of them. They cannot be lost. I agree with that. So then you cannot lose your salvation. Well, in theory. And I'll say what I mean That's by what Jesus says. Yes, but you cannot tell me who is going to be saved. It's irrelevant to the issue. It doesn't it's matter. Very who. No, it's not. It's quite relevant. No, it's not. Because look, you don't know who the, who that is, but the Father knows who they are. The Father gave them to the Son, and the fact is, what Jesus is teaching is, once you're given to the Son, you cannot be lost. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is that Jesus is clearly telling us, you're not, you're never going to be lost. You say you can be lost. You contradict scripture. You contradict Christ, and you accuse Jesus of sin. No, I do not. Yes, you do. You're saying, you're saying that Jesus failed to do the will of the Father by losing some. Okay, I'm saying that those people who were lost, were lost in a temporal sense. Were they ever written in the book of life? I would say no. That's not relevant to the question of whether or not they were lost here on whether or not they were lost here on earth. Those are two very different types of things. Jesus so, is, you, you can't lose your salvation. Jesus says he will lose. But you don't know none. if you have your salvation. Yes, I do. I know I do. Look, the, the issue here is that that the point is that those who are given to the son by the father cannot be lost. They will not be lost. They cannot lose their salvation. So what does St. Peter mean in 2.22? I explained it. He's talking to the Jews, to the Jews scattered abroad. Read the first few verses of each book. And you see he's talking to the Jews, and he's speaking to them about As a matter of fact, he says, denying the Lord who bought them. Yeah. Right? And if you know any Judaism and you know Old Testament, I think it's Deuteronomy 32 6, where it says that the people of Israel denied the Lord who bought them. Okay. And they were, they were bought out of Israel. It doesn't mean that they were all saved. And if you also were to scan through, in, in my Bible, Old Testament quotes are in caps. So I could just page, scan, scan, scan. And you'll see that Peter is writing. 
He's writing, he's referencing the Old Testament numerous times, plus allusions besides just quotes. It's, It's a very Jewish appeal that he's giving, and he's using the Old Testament phraseology, which in my opinion, I can't prove it. I believe he's referencing Deuteronomy 32 when he says that the Jews who were bought by the Lord and were in the wilderness were denying the Lord who bought them. It doesn't mean they were all redeemed. That's the Jewish, that's the context of this whole thing. <clears throat> now, in Colossians 2.14, Paul says that, the, that Jesus canceled the sin debt, the certificate of debt. If it's canceled, it cannot be held against you. You cannot lose your salvation. I think the part you are of that, calling, right? You're calling Jesus a liar. I'm not calling Jesus a liar. I think part of the problem is that... Can you lose salvation? I mean, from a perspective of God, no. Okay, you either can lose your salvation, or it's not the case that you can lose your salvation. I mean, one could make the argument that what appears to be a loss of salvation is, as you would put it, a predestination of what was meant to occur. That said, that said, I can't see the future because I'm not God. Neither are you, last I checked. So the point is... I must operate under the assumption that, in fact, I can become one of those who fell, one of those who lost his salvation, because we are. You just said you can't lose your salvation. You, if you, from God's perspective, you can't. From a human so they, perspective, you can't. No. So, which perspective is the one that God's talking about, in, in or Jesus is talking about in John six? Obviously, God's. Right, and when Paul's talking about it in in Colossians two fourteen, which perspective is it? obviously human no it's not he canceled the certificate of debt on the cross who'd he cancel it for so then how did they return to their vomit (sighs) wow talk about ripping something out of context who did jesus cancel the the sin debt for everybody who ever lived or not everybody ever lived everyone who the father gave him and it's not everyone ever lived so you believe just like I do, in limited atonement, that Jesus only bore the sins of the ones given to him by the Father. Well, yeah, I mean, I never believed everyone was going to be saved. That would make me a universalist. So you are—you don't realize it. If your friend James is listening, and if he knows his orthodox theology, he's going to have to sit you down and correct you now. He doesn't know orthodox theology. He's a Roman Catholic. Oh, okay. I thought it was an EO guy. So you no. just are speaking against EO now, and you don't even realize it. I'm not speaking against EO. Yes, you are. They teach you can lose your salvation. They're talking about it in a temporal sense. No, they're not. Yes, they are. I shall <laughs> prove it, if I may. Please do. Okay. Remember how I said it's in our morning prayers? <laughs> may Go I? Ahead. Yeah. Sure. Hold on. Give me one second, because I have to pull it out here. Hey, Matt, while he's looking for that, we're going to have to wrap it up so the guys at the All after right. show are waiting. For oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Okay. Let's, go, let's just go okay. to the after show. We'll just go over there. You want me to just go to the after show? Well, can I can I just finish this? Because I think we'll you'll fin- find it very let's interesting. Let's finish it up, and then we'll do that. But uh, you, you, you got to if, – if you want to have the longer discussions, you got to come in early, not at the last 15 minutes of the I, week. I, literally, this was a mistake in scheduling, and I really apologize again. Yeah. Um, that was it, – but it'll be fixed. Hold on. Okay. Where's the after show link? Right there. (laughs) Hold on. Um, 
search engine was killing me. I'm just, how about if I just go over there? And you can finish it over there. Yeah, how, how about how, we're gonna we'll wrap it up here and uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll go to the after show at the council. Where is, where's a link to this after there, show? It's in the chat here. So, okay. and then I'll put it onto the YouTube if you want page. To, are, are you coming, Andrew? Uh, probably not. Oh, why? We never get to because we never get to talk. All right. Well, that's what this show you could do. You did All right. Show. I'll show up on time next time. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll bug Matt now. All right. So so I'll give I'll give time for uh, Matt and Joseph to get over to the after show, and uh, if you want to join the after show, it is. I think on the council's uh, hangout page or YouTube page. Um, but uh, I'll drop a link in uh, that's put on by the guys over at the council. So, um, and they started over ortho- Eastern Orthodox is how the council started. But anyway, they're a good group of guys. So they, uh, they may turn their after show into a podcast soon. That might be part of the Christian podcast community we look and uh this has been apologetics live which is uh you can be heard as a podcast on the christian podcast community so you guys could link is, the link is actually out. the link is kind of taking me into um this this thing hold on it's taking me oh okay hold on hold on all right okay i see right. it let, let me let me close out the show and, yeah let me close out the show and then you could you could do that I'm going to All, right. You. All right. So, so oh, he's gone. Good. All right. Well, um, so if you want to find out more about the Christian podcast community, you can go to christianpodcastcommunity.com, find out more. We got several podcasts coming up. Uh, Justin Peters will be starting up Didache pretty soon, which we're looking forward to getting some of his teaching. Uh, we just released the Christian podcast Christian Podcast Awards, and so if you want our community awards, you can just uh, go to the Christian Podcast Community, that podcast, and listen to the awards given. You can also find it at Striving for Eternity, just in the search type uh, podcast awards, and see what we thought were the best Christian podcasts and best Christian podcast episodes for 2018. Uh, we thank Matt for coming on and all the, the guests who came in. We do want to encourage folks, come in early and uh, and join often. But uh, we are glad to have you here and look forward to you next week.